Christmas and welcome to Ho Ho Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 164, Wolfman Josh's favorite episode of the year. It is our Christmas horror themed episode, 2018 edition. And I'll tell you right now, this Yuletide Barn Burner is brought to you by our sponsors, the patrons of Movie Podcast Network and Shudder, the Netflix for horror, where you can stream genre flicks in horror, sci-fi, crime, and mystery, and more. Just try Shudder free for 30 days. You can go to Shudder.com, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com slash podcast and use the promo code HMP. But on Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Jay, Christmas is fast becoming my least favorite C-word. Oh, (laughs) that is such a weird coincidence. Last night when we recorded Movie Podcast Weekly... Um, they were talking about that film, The Favorite, Carl was, and he was talking about how many times they say the C word in that film. And I said, since this is a family show, we're talking about Christmas, of course. <laughs> so that's, that is the weirdest little coincidence. Anyway, welcome guys. Josh, this episode right here is your baby. It's the one you wait for all year long so can you tell the listeners what we've got in store for them tonight for the 2018 Christmas Horror Edition? Oh boy, oh boy. We have a feature review of the biggest indie movie in the land right now, Anna and the Apocalypse. We'll also have a special screaming online segment featuring all the creatures we're stirring. We've got a special collector's crib segment about Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. And then we're covering around... Nine or 10 2018 Christmas films and even more. So this is all Christmas content. And we hope that your Yuletide season is enhanced by this podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'd also like to give a shout out, right? Because we have some special music prepared by our main man, Kagan Breitenbach. Absolutely. So pour your eggnog. And I believe Dave has a special drink as well, right, Dave? I certainly do. I picked it up tonight at work. It is a a beer. Founders is the brand. And it is their Backwoods Bastard <laughs> brand. That's I think I'm going to open one up uh, now, as a matter of fact. And uh, where I'm from, that name is the uh, euphemism for my my Uncle Bill. I was going to say, yeah, it's like, it's like the town council, right? (laughs) So we've got a lot to do. So let's get underway here and make sure the kids are tucked in and 
the stockings are hung by the, the chimney with care. Wolfman Josh, so we love to start out talking a little bit of theme discussion. As usual, we like to talk about the concept of Christmas horror. And one thing that we've yeah. been um, kind of batting back and forth is the fact that so many horror filmmakers have seemed to catch on to the fact that people uh, really dig holiday-themed movies. They like the novelty of these kind of movies, especially ones relating to the Christmas season. And so we have a recent glut of these horror movies, and uh, it's been more of a quantity over quality, perhaps, would you say, thus far? I guess we'll get into that a little bit more as, as the episode goes on. But, I mean, if you think about previous Christmas episodes where we have more movies to talk about tonight, uh, new releases than we have before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't think of another year where we've had, I don't know, whatever number Josh gave there of, of, of movies to discuss, all mostly released in 2018. Um, you know, the, there'd be like two, three maybe. Uh, but uh, this one we're getting up, you know, damn near what, like a dozen or uh, definitely over 10 anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's a, uh, that's a lot for one year. And it, it is people recognizing that there's an audience for this. There's people who love these sort of, uh, sort of movies. And we're just hitting that point now where, how am I trying to, what do I want to say here that, you know, we're, we're trying to get, uh, never mind. just, just move on. I'll, I'll cut me off at, uh, <laughs> we'll cut you off at one backwards bastard. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> Well, Josh, do you do you feel like that the success of and the affection for like Better Watch Out and Krampus? Do you feel like those two have kind of helped usher in this this avalanche of Christmas movies of late? I do think that's a fair point because before that, we really only had a couple of holiday classics, and you know, using the term classic pretty liberally as well. Um, but we had Gremlins. We had Silent Night, Deadly Night. We had Black Christmas. And that right. was really all that was, you know, really worth talking about for a good many years, like good 20 years or so. Right. <laughs> Those were the Christmas horror movies worth discussing. We had some others come along that, you know, were worth talking about. Rare Exports, I was a big fan of. P2 it was one J championed. Mm-hmm. There's Dead End and Windchill, which are very similar to each other. So there were some decent films. And then we had a lot of remakes during the early 2000s. You know, people were going back to the Silent Night, Deadly Night and doing a remake and and that type of thing. But yeah, I mean, I think we got spoiled there for a couple of years. At least I got spoiled there for a couple of years because we had a lot of good releases. We had Better Watch Out and Krampus and, and even the lesser films like a Christmas horror story, it was still worth watching, you know? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but you know, I mean, I think this glut isn't new completely to this year, you know, the last two or three Christmas horror episodes have covered some pretty dire new releases. I think part of that, it's just the Amazon prime factor. i like to call it now, mm-hmm. which is basically, you know, a lot of these really bad, smaller independent films wouldn't have even made it on VHS are very easy to throw up on a digital streaming platform at no cost to anyone other than, you know, the data rates. So right. Um, right. I think we're getting a lot more of those films that would have just disappeared into the ether in decades past. And now 
you know, we're reviewing them on horror movie podcasts <laughs> instead. Well, what about this, Josh? This is something because I know that you have thought about this uh, probably more than anybody because you think about this a lot. But, but like Red Christmas, we talked about it in last year's episode. Red Christmas is a bizarre little film by Craig Anderson. And it's almost like, I mean, I mean, I, I feel like there's heart to that one. And I actually like that film. But some people, you know, it's kind of a mixed, I, I don't know. It feels like it's a mixed bag, love it or hate it. But because of how bizarre it is, I almost feel like people um, have been riffing on the Red Christmas vibe where it's like, let's make cinematic oddities for Christmas horror because it's a it's a weird blend in the first place. So you think Red Christmas was directly responsible for that? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just feel like, you know, I, I suspect that that film has been maybe a little more influential than we suspect because it is like so many of these films, like the, the Silent Night, um, Deadly Night franchise. I mean, that's weird, right? Uh, th- those are some weird films, weird things happen. And, and I feel like Red Christmas is kind of a continuation on that. But I, I think that that film got enough buzz and it was bizarre enough that I, I think it has fueled the weirdness that we're seeing even this year because we've got some weird stuff this year too. I think what what I see is this decision to exploit every exploitable element of the season. <laughs> so you have Silent Night, Deadly Night, and it stands for 30 years as the Santa Claus killer movie. And of course, there were other killer Santas along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think um, Krampus may have opened up a bit of a Pandora's box because it said, oh, yeah, there's all this other stuff out there. You know, we have Saint from the Netherlands with their version of Sitna Claus. Mm-hmm. We have Mrs. Claus this year. We have the ugly sweater party this year. <laughs> you know, we have yeah. elves. And so I think it's just a, for me, it's like, okay, let's get all of these different facets of the holiday. What hasn't been done yet? And we're going to talk about that in one of our features coming up. Well, white elephant horror hasn't been done. Well, let's do right. that, you know? And <laughs> I was so gonna, I think that's that's what I'm seeing. I was going to say, I, I bet Dave a bastard beer that uh, next year we're going to have a slasher called Candy Cane Killer. Yeah, oh, possibly. Something yeah. like that. Maybe. Yeah. And I, I, I got to tell you, this is a damn good beer. I am amazed <laughs> at how good this beer is. I am, like, really enjoying this. I'm looking. It was only a four-pack. I'm like, damn, I should have picked up another one. This is this whatever these backwoods bastards do. They they make a good beer. Well, there there you go. Now everybody knows what to get you for Christmas, Doc Shock. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, please send them. (laughs) Okay, so let's return to a discussion that we had a long time ago, or probably every year since, regarding this. Do we really think that the blend of Christmas and horror? Do we think that works? But does that work for you guys? Like if we're, if we're being honest now, after reflecting on this many years in a row, I, I, th- I think so. I mean, if, if you look at something like better watch out, I mean, that made my top 10 last year. Um, and it's just a, a, you know, just a solid movie. It really is. And there were things about Christmas horror story that I thought were, uh, you know, outstanding. And I'm a big fan of rare exports as well. I thought that was another, um, another strong film. 
So yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I think that there there definitely is, and if uh, you know done correctly, I think there's more to be done. I mean, now like like Josh was saying, it's sort of branching out now into a lot of different areas, and I think a few of those areas we can continue to explore. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't I certainly don't want to think some of these movies are the definitive uh, for that particular <laughs> right. um, you know sub sub genre. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think so. And I, I'd like to see it uh, continue, you know, as as uh, as we continue um, uh, into the uh, you know, the rest of this decade and into the 2020s. I'd like to see as, as many of these and um, come out and maybe a, maybe even a few decent ones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's just like any thing with horror. We had this with 80 slashers. We had this with torture films. We had this with paranormal films. We had this with found footage films. You have something really good comes out. Then you get a, a big wave of a lot of terrible ones mm-hmm. and with a couple standouts and then it kind of dies out. And then, then the only people making them are people who really care about the genre. And I think that's kind of this, the life cycle I see for a horror wave, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I think they're, yeah, like Dave said, there were better watch out made a lot of top 10 lists. Krampus made a lot of top 10 lists. Uh, I think Anna in the apocalypse is going to make a lot of top 10 lists this year. And so, yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's my, one of my very, very favorite subgenres of horror. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I am the wrong person to ask in that right. sense, <laughs> but for me, there's so much there. Number one, and I've said this before on our Christmas episodes, it's in the DNA of Christmas to be telling ghost stories around this time of year. That goes back thousands of years. The idea of the the supernatural being part of the Yuletide season. And I say Yuletide because even including the solstice, you know, there are all of these elements of pagan ritualism and all of the old Christianity that came in and the mythologies that we've created around this season as well. Um, I guess some people would say that those other two were also created, but um, <laughs> I don't know how to, <laughs> know how to parse that, I guess, <laughs> but there are more modern creations around the holiday season. Um, and I don't know. I think there's something just magical about this time. You know, as I was preparing for the show tonight, it got dark around four o'clock and it is just weird. You know, we, we hole up in, in our homes in the dark by the fire and we tell stories and, and a lot of those stories around the campfires we know are ghost stories. And mm-hmm. going back to Charles Dickens for me has really cemented this idea of the biggest Christmas story in the world for a very long time was about a man being visited by three ghosts. Right. And right. dealing with the tragedy of his life. And that feels very Christmassy to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And and even Christmas horror ish, right? The little. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Definitely by yeah, the time he's absolutely. visited by the third ghost, some of my earliest nightmares are seeing Mickey Mouse, uh, you know, confronted by the ghost of Christmas future. So mm-hmm. um, those are definitely part of the DNA. I grew up with gremlins from a very young age. And also, you know, again, we've probably talked about this in Christmas's past, but you know, your favorite definition of horror being the disturbance of peace. The very definition of Christmas is a celebration of the birth of the Prince of peace. Yes. And you know, it is traditionally a time for people to gather with their families and loved ones and, and partake in, in, in the 
feast days. And so, yeah, I think it's fascinating to me to see that interrupted then by something sinister. Do you want to address that, Jay? The idea of like the disturbance of of peace. Well, yeah, favorite? yeah, I, I absolutely love that, and I agree with that, and that's one reason why I think, um, you know, I w- I was so fond of Red Christmas. Not to keep mentioning that film, but um, yeah, just beca- mention it again, really, <laughs> <laughs> because I do, uh, I do dig that one for some reason. It's very bizarre, but like you know, you got a family gathering that's not going super smoothly. And then it gets much worse, though. Like the the piece is completely <laughs> right. drained out of the event. But but see, for me, here's my assertion, Josh. For me, if a film, I think a horror film works better when it's merely set at Christmas, at Christmas time, where Christmas is a backdrop. For example, in P two, she gets um, trapped in a parking garage with this a psychopath guy, and there's nobody else around because. It's Christmas time and everything's closed. Same thing with like ATM, which is a, a slasher that's that's actually, you know, Christmas time as well. Like they leave a Christmas party and then they get stuck in this ATM and it's super freaking cold and there's a slasher psychomaniac. Like I, I feel like that works really well when it's set at Christmas time and Christmas is a backdrop. Like with Gremlins, I like the fact that Christmas is a backdrop. And I think that works better for me than when it's actually born out of Christmas type elements when, when, when they're directly related. I think that's, I'm the exact opposite of you. Oh, okay. In in this, in this sense, because I do Hmm. like the aesthetic beauty of Christmas. I love the white snow. Mm -hmm. I love the colorful lights. It just is visually appealing on screen. But to me, the whole reason you're a premise guy, Jay, the whole reason to do this is to find the horror in, in the everyday. Right. And so to Mm -hmm. me, I don't know. I, I, I think it's so much more meaningful when you can tap it. And and frankly, we've discussed now so much of this. We've been over on our previous horror episodes. So many of these films are not really about Christ, which is at the heart of the Christmas celebration. Right. They're really about Santa Claus for the most part. Right. Like by large degree. Or again, hearkening back to Christmas Carol, they're kind of just about ghostly relations. Um, And so I don't think it necessarily disturbs the sanctity of the holiday in that sense. But I think what I love about it. is that I, I love the Christmas movies are inherently hopeful. And so I think the combination of a genre that's inherently hopeless with a genre that's inherently hopeful nice. creates this new third thing. That's kind of my favorite thing, <laughs> right? You know, when done well, and there it's not, I don't think it's always done well, but I think <laughs> when, when you can pull off a Christmas movie, that has the heart of a Christmas movie, but feels tonally like a horror movie throughout that, that to me is the highest level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that That's super cool for sure. Yeah. And I, and I think where I get hung up where I get a little bit tripped up, as you mentioned, I, I do think that on some level as, as a Christian, you know, I, I think it, there, there is a little bit that grates on me. That's like, they're taking this, you know, sacred holiday. And, and and so I will admit to that. But setting that aside, 
Um, the other part of no, it is don't set it totally aside because how does that just out of curiosity, how does that differ to you from the vast majority of all Christmas movies, which are about elves and Santa and commercialism, <laughs> right, right. And baubles and you know, well, how does that, how does that differ in your mind? Yeah. I mean, one, one could make it, that's a great question, by the way. I mean, one could make an argument that, uh, you know, is commercialism evil? And if you're taking the focus away from, uh, Christ, it, it, is that in and of itself evil? But like for me, you know, I'm a slippery slope kind of guy, I think. And it's like, well, that's not as bad as taking full blown evil and attacking the hot, like injecting the holiday with full blown evil. It's like, like instead of singing silent night or you have silent night playing softly in the background, you know, which is about the birth of Christ. And then you have these atrocities happening in the foreground, in the present with that song in the background. It's almost like sacrilege or something. It's, it's, you know, mm. and and I understand that that horror is supposed to be offensive, and and that's fine. So I mean, I I get it, but but the other the other side of it, I think I, I have yet I have yet to see the Christmas horror movie that's more offensive than The Exorcist. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> for sure. I I can't even think of anything that exceeds the offensive nature of what goes on in The Exorcist, but. Uh, the other side of it for me, and I think what I get more tripped up on is I'm I'm a reality guy, I'm a realism guy, and and that's why I like um, the ones set at Christmas rather than the ones born out of Christmas because it does break the realism a little bit when you've got like I, I don't know like <laughs> the killer elves or something. You're like okay, oh that's what you meant by born out of Christmas, okay. Yeah, like what I meant was I, that makes a lot more sense to me because then yeah, then you've got like Santa Claus as your killer, but you know it's actually a professional wrestler dressed up as Santa Claus and he's flying around killing Jewish people. Like that seems harder to kind of like <laughs> right suspend your disbelief, I guess, as a yeah. viewer. Yes, exactly. But I don't know. I, I I like that stuff too, actually. But what I was more talking about is something that's born out of the themes of Christmas. So like P2 doesn't have a lot to do with the themes of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Right? right. But a film like Windchill, yeah. for example, is not a great movie, but I feel like it deals with thematically the stuff that Christmas is about. Well, it's interesting that you say this because... Um, Honestly, like one thing that we've talked about in the past is the fact that these films may or may not incorporate very much Christmas, you know, into the backdrop or the setting or the the themes. And there are definitely weaker ones that, that don't have a ton to do with Christmas. And it may just like open up like what what is it like dead end? Right. I mean, that basically they say it's Christmas Eve or something and and you hear Christmas carols on the radio every once in a while. But but yeah, I mean, like that that's one thing. And I'm going to say it again. <laughs> Dave, drink your bastard beer every time I say red Christmas, um, red Christmas. I only have four of them. Jay. <laughs> I'm just saying. But but red Christmas. I mean, that thing is chock full of Christmas related imagery the lighting in that is exceptional for me because of all the Christmas lights that 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 occur throughout the film. 
And anyways, I, I do love when they manage to incorporate Christmas more throughout like in Gremlins. And I and I think you feel that way, too. Right, Josh? 100 uh, percent. I don't think Red Christmas is a good example. So that would be where I differ from you. Okay. But yeah, the more it feels like a Christmas movie, the more I'm excited for the horror to begin. Mm hmm. That's what I like about Krampus, actually, for all its shortcomings. And I, I didn't rate it particularly high when we reviewed it. But over the years, my appreciation for it has grown tremendously because it's doing Christmas horror, you know, at full bore. It's it, doing it all the way. It's yeah. doing exactly what I was hoping for. And right. so, like, objectively, it's not the best movie. Like, it may, you know, might be in like the 7.58 range as objective film, but as a Christmas horror movie, it's a 10 in my mind, you know, and I feel the same about Better Watch Out. I, w I came in high on Better Watch Out before, but that's a 10 out of 10 for me, you know, like it's just, it's accomplishing exactly what it set out to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And, and I agree with you too, 100% about Krampus, because I actually rated that pretty low. I was pretty disappointed in it. But I revisited it this year, and I actually showed my ten-year-old uh, son that one. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's you know, yeah, it's it's serious business, you know. So it's fun. I it, I started showing that to my ten and eight-year-old, and then we shut it off when the girl was under the truck. <laughs> <laughs> right? They got did they get scared, or did your wife put the kibosh I on that? Tell it was a. I, I, I had miscalculated it. I realized during that scene, I'm like, well, we'll wait, we'll wait a couple of years and then we'll come back to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my guy was pretty nervous during some of the, <laughs> the little creature kills later on. So yeah, <laughs> but, but we, we horror fans, we've said it many times on this podcast in the past. We horror fans were all scarred at some point by some movie that horrified us. And absolutely. here we are today, right, Dave? So it's absolutely we we've made it through right. my kids. It was the end of sleepaway camp. <laughs> I've never seen two kids so completely blown away and, and distraught right by that final scene of, of that movie. And yes, you're right. Everyone remembers that one moment that, that got you. Um, mm hmm. And for your, I guess for your son, it'll be Krampus. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. Mine was pretty light too. My, I think mine was dreamscape that really messed me up. So. Oh, nice. Mm. Well, anything else you guys want to say about Christmas horror 2018? I mean, I think this year we, we've had a couple of high points. I don't think the highs were as high this year, but I think we, there've been some good ones and I am just, you know, as though we got way more, or bad ones than we're used to. I think hopefully um, people will continue making them and we'll be able to separate the wheat from the chaff a little bit and get some right. higher quality films. Coming through. I'm, I'm excited about the future of Christmas horror based on yeah, this. Year. Absolutely. And I, I agree. And I think if pe a lot of people are going to say, Hey, maybe we need to, to jump on this bandwagon. And here's another area that hasn't been uh, explored yet. You know, it has, it's, it's there's still plenty out there and I, I'd love to, I'm looking forward to it too. I can't wait. As a musician, like one thing that I, that occurred to me was that in order to release a Christmas album at Christmas time, you were often writing and recording that album in June during the summer, which was right. a real bummer for me because I'm like, man, 
that it just doesn't feel right to sing Christmas carols in June for some reason. And, you know, it'd be all <laughs> sunny outside. And, um, anyways, <laughs> and so I, I suspect I've noticed that some of the Christmas horror has been released at different times of year, uh, particularly like sometimes they'll release it earlier in the year so they can hit it on video, home video pretty hard during the Christmas season. But anyway, for the filmmakers out there, I just wanted to give a little shout out of appreciation that they <laughs> filmed their Christmas horror in the summertime or something. But anyway, I mean, I was actually going to bring that up later on the show. It's a major theme of a couple of my reviews because <laughs> as we've talked about for me, feeling Christmassy really factors into my rating on a film like this mm -hmm. and green grass. It's an automatic, it's an automatic demerit right there. You know what I mean? Green, green leaves right. on the trees, unless you're in Hawaii. Like I don't want to see it. You know what I mean? So right. you're Australia, but yeah, you're yeah, right. Australia with the red Christmas. Um, I prefer not, not to bring that movie up every time we bring up a new topic tonight, but <laughs> that's one of my biggest issues actually with a, with a Christmas set horror film. And so, I would say to filmmakers, find a producer who's going to let you film a year in advance or yes. yeah, go to New Zealand or, or Australia to shoot your movie in the summer. There you go. <laughs> there, so, right. so my Christmas present to you, Josh, was to, to not bring up um, my favorite sort of episode. I was going to say something about making a red Christmas too, but incorporating a certain sort of mask, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> And that is your early Christmas present. That's a good gift. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about Christmas Horror 2018? Because I'm dying to hear this first feature review here. I just, you know, I mean, there was one thought I had about Christmas and horror combined. And it really it just keeps coming back to a Christmas carol for me. It really defined that type of story. And I think most of it is what you would classify as social horror. It's a man realizing he has no friends mm -hmm. that he lost the love of his life and many opportunities at a bright, happy future because of, because he was selfish and because he was self-concerned and self-centered. And I think it, that speaks directly to the themes of the holiday while at the same time telling a really tragic, terrible story that ends with legitimate horror in a you know and and you know is supernatural throughout but ends with legitimate death and destruction and yet pulls through at the last moment to have a hopeful christmas message and that as i talked about with william rowan jr on his most recent um special features episode for our pot patrons you know to me that is the central idea of christmas and the christmas spirit is that we as people can, that there's hope that you can change course, that you can change direction, that you can, yeah. um, that there's goodness in the world and that people are inherently good and you can kind of like take a new path. And so uh, I know that that might not feel Jay of the Dead's TNA in terms of you know, the tone of a horror film. But again, that to me, mm -hmm. that's the wonderful thing about this third creation, this Christmas horror movie is combining these two ideas. And I don't know that it's ever been done better than uh, Charles Dickens did with a Christmas Carol. Wow. Agreed. You just, you just blew my mind, honestly, because um, the way you laid that story bare 
<laughs> I mean that that is powerful, and it makes me wonder if if perhaps a Christmas Carol that that story is the greatest Christmas horror ever ever written thus far. I mean, I mean some of the versions. I mean, if you see the 1984 version with George C. Scott, that's my favorite. There are some chilling moments in that movie, like the the visit from Jacob Marley. At the mm-hmm. beginning, and and the way that that movie depicts uh, the ghost of uh, Christmas yet to come. Oh yeah, it's my favorite, um, favorite. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really it it as a kid watching it, I loved it, but it was like terrifying. It is, and you know, yeah, yeah you opened up this Christmas show one year with a clip from that version of. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I mean that is that is my favorite version of that story, and, and mine too. Mine as well. It's in it's incredible, and and the cool thing is you can find that that film. It was a made for TV version, but you can find that everywhere. By the way, like for five bucks. But but anyways, I just wanted to say that that story. I mean, had had the tiny Tim angle worked out differently had it gone the uh the cujo in the book way (laughs) (laughs) then it would be serious horror you know and and i think then we could have taken it there but anyway i'm just putting it out there but that's but again that's the idea of that's what makes it ultimately a christmas movie and that's what i that's what i like Mm -hmm. at this time of year you know right that's right and I will say that almost every version of that is good. You know, I've mentioned Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yes. I was, you know, a little bit joking, but it's actually pretty good. Even <laughs> the Muppet I was one. Talking, well, I was talking about with David, our, our listener from the UK, David, um, about Muppet's Christmas Carols, one of his top 10 Christmas movies. It's one of mine as well. I love that version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. It really is. <sighs> All right, then. Well, uh Listeners, let us know what you think about Christmas horror in 2018 in the show notes for episode 164 here. And at this time, let's move into our feature review of Anna and the Apocalypse. T'was the night before Christmas, and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Young Anna was nestled, all snug in her bed. Not knowing tomorrow, she'd meet the undead. How would she survive? What this season would bring? Well, that's simple. She'd stab, she'd slash, and she'd sing. The Apocalypse was a, one of those films that was just blowing up on the film festival circuit. And we've talked about this before on the show. Sometimes you don't know, like, is this overhyped? Is it, is it due to the midnight audience at Toronto just was super hyped and <laughs> um, it's not really as good as we're, we have all been led to believe, or is it like many of the films that come out of say Sundance, it follows the witch uh, you know, some of the best horror of the year. And so I, I went in cautiously optimistic with, and in the apocalypse, this is directed by John McPhail. It is written by Alan McDonald and Ryan McHenry. And it is a zombie Christmas musical. 
So <laughs> right there, you think, okay, this could, this is really execution dependent, right? Like right. this could be really good or really bad. And the reviews again, out of the festivals were really strong. Um, one of my good friends, Alex Billington over at first showing, he said he called it Shaun of the dead meets La La Land. And again, that description, I'm like, uh, so uh, I don't still don't know if I like that <laughs> right. combination. And I like mm-hmm. musicals, but I wouldn't call myself a musical fan. Mm-mm. Like I like really good musicals, but I, I typically don't like the Broadway style show tunes. That's just not my favorite type of music. Same. But, you know, I think a good musical can be interesting. And, and then certainly there are many that are very well done. Um, but I'm not, I'm just not generally a musical type of person. When I think of musical though, I think of, you know, sound of music or the music man or now you're talking damn Yankees or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm just old, I guess. And I never got on board with the newer wave of musicals. Probably, probably started with high high school musical and continued (laughs) on with glee, you know, which were extremely popular. We're talking like, you know, top performing films and television that I think this whole younger generation was reared on. What about you once, know, though? Yeah, Moulin, and Moulin Rouge and things like that. Yeah. Well, there are plenty of great musicals. Yeah, I guess I yeah. could mention those as well. I mean, I like my favorite Stancer in the Dark, oh, but yeah. not oh, not your typical right. musical. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. No. But 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 generally, when I think musical, I think of the older style. You know, I think of Grease or something. Right. You know, but I think younger generations think Glee. And I think this movie is more like that version of a musical, you know? Hmm. Okay. So what you have here is a young woman named Anna, hence the title. She is within a group of kind of outcasts at her high school, but she's kind of the the coolest of those outcasts. Like the, all the guys like her cause she's, she's an attractive young lady. And so although she hangs out with freaks and geeks, let's say <laughs> she's, she's definitely one of the more accepted amongst the popular crowd and she's having trouble at home. She's decided she's going to spend a year abroad traveling before going to college. Her mother's passed away and her dad is, very unhappy with this decision. Her dad is also very unhappy with her boyfriend choices. And, you know, she's just having kind of typical teenage problems. Her best friend is a young guy who's uh, in love with her and having a hard time telling her. And, you know, like any zombie movie, there's a collection of characters who find themselves dealing with apocalyptic circumstances and i would say that for a young cast this is a really strong group of characters you know oftentimes when younger people are in movies they're either a not convincing as teenagers or b not convincing as actors or sometimes both (laughs) and i would say that these guys are mostly believable as teens and also really strong actors and so that that takes you a long way in a movie like But basically, um, it has a beginning somewhat like Shaun of the Dead or the Dawn of the Dead remake, where we see the world 
well before the zombie apocalypse. And then we see our characters discover that the zombie apocalypse is erupting and it's Christmas time. And these small group of outcasts have to kind of make their way through the city. And they're trying to make their way to the high school where their parents and some of the teachers have been holed up for the evening uh, since the school play the night before. And that's really the whole plot. Uh, but nice. it's done with a lot of style. It's done with a lot of musical numbers. <laughs> and again, mm. the musical numbers are a little bit show tuny. They are, and they are in the style of kind of the more modern glee type of approach to the musical, but they are also very catchy and they never undercut the horror. And so it's very watchable and, and really fun. I would say a lot of horror fans will be frustrated that the humor does undercut the horror for at least the first 40 minutes or so. Any of the horror that happens in that time period is kind of underscored by laughs. I do think it gets pretty serious as the film goes on. And there are a lot of heart wrenching moments, like any good zombie film of people having to deal with the loss of a loved one or a best friend uh, who's been infected. This is an infected narrative as well. And it clearly sets itself apart as an infected narrative. Sometimes we have a mishmash of the infected and living dead genres, but this one is clearly only infected. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's the gist of what this movie is about. And I would just say, if you think if you think you can even slightly stomach the musical portion, <laughs> I think you're gonna like it because it's my favorite horror musical I've seen so far comparing this to stage fright or repo the genetic opera. I, I like the way that this incorporates music more than anything I've seen in the horror genre. And um, yeah, I mean our listener Dino, who is a good friend of the show, he said that he thought this was up there with Shaun of the dead and Zombieland. I think this is, just a tick below those for me, but it fits into that category of zombie comedy. Yeah. And um, I love Shaun of the Dead. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I like Zombieland, but I think it's a lesser film. And I think this for me kind of rides that line. Well, Josh, what you were describing actually reminded me a lot, minus the musical part, but it reminded me a lot of that zombie film from 2008 called Dance of the Dead. Are you familiar with that one? The Dance of the Dead? No. Dance of the Dead. It's actually one of my favorite zombie movies. And it turns out it's a, it's a horror comedy zombie flick. But it, it's a really similar type of premise where, you know, a zombie apocalypse breaks out on the night of the high school prom. And, you know the people are trapped inside with all these zombies and, and the nerds who did not get invited to the prom, they're out, you know, just hanging out as nerds and outcasts together. They band together as the loser group and, um, try to battle the zombies and save the people who are still in the prom. So it, it sounds similar minus the musical part, but, and that's, yeah, that got me well, excited. This was based on an idea from a guy who was an internet sensation Back when Vine kind of came out, he became well-known for a little short that he did called Ryan Gosling Won't Eat His Cereal, I believe it was called. (laughs) 
I don't know if you ever saw that, but it was a series <laughs> of shots. It was a compilation of shots from movies of Ryan Gosling swatting his hand and turning his face away. And this guy would shoot video of a spoon with cereal in frame going toward the television screen. <laughs> and then Ryan Gosling would swat his hand in the, in the cereal would fall. And it was just a compilation of that. And it was this huge internet viral sensation and it made him kind of famous. And he did a short film called zombie musical. And it was right around the same time as high school musical. And it was really popular. And the, they, this production company bought the rights to zombie musical. And that is, was the genesis of this movie. Unfortunately, that young man passed away, but he learned before he died that they were making this movie and he wanted it to happen. So, wow. Um, wow. What yeah. happened to him? I the, don't know. That's super sad. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but no, I, I, you're right. I've, I've heard so much buzz about this and, um, you know, I'm seeing it on Twitter, like when people throw out their top tens on Twitter already, and I'm not referring to the official submissions to our shows, but I'm just saying the one, the, the ones that I see posted, people are including this in the top 10. So I'm, I'm dying to see it actually, even though it's a music, I, I, the musical part, Josh, I don't know. The rest of it sounds pretty good, but th that's going to be hot. Like, how is that incorporated? Do they, they just start busting out singing? They just handle it like any musical, you know, mm. um, a character's having an emotional moment or whatever. And they, and they break into song, but again, they have they, they wisely do not have a song during the first big zombie battle. And I wondered if they were going to, cause it had been a while since it had a song as well. And I thought, this could go really poorly if they have a big musical number and they don't, and they do still play it for laughs to a large degree, but um, I don't know. I think they handled it just right. And in fact, at the end, the final song she's singing, it really works toward this idea that I was talking about with the Christmas season of hope. And, um, and you know, as most zombie movies, there's a lot of, a lot of death <laughs> And so, you know, these characters have to hold on for survival. And I felt like the last song is really emotional. Yeah. You know, the, it's a very emotional moment. And the movie does have a lot of emotional beats. It doesn't earn all of them. I will say it shortcuts several of them. But I think a lot of musicals shortcut their emotional beats, to be honest. And so it felt kind of in line with the genre in that way. So it's it's pretty gory then, I assume, because it is a zombie flick. It's rated R. Yeah, you know, I would say half of the kills are obscured or happen off screen, but then there are full-on head smashing and bowels <laughs> being torn out of, you know, oh, okay. stomachs and things like that. So it's not something I could take my kids to see instead of Aquaman or Bumblebee this weekend, is what you're saying. <laughs> Probably. It's, it's borderline, more <laughs> daring parents could i don't know about i don't know about your particular case i definitely could not right because my kids couldn't handle krampus but um right right it's 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 rated r i believe so yes. it's a step above krampus i gotcha okay yeah nice dave what are you thinking are you sold on this or what yeah i i'm i'm upset i don't i'm not going to get a chance to see it before i put together my top 10 list uh it's one of a handful that I'm, I'm not going to get a chance to see, and it's a shame. I really am anxious to, to check this out. 
Yeah, because yeah, it is in limited release right now. It's in a lot of theaters, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like in that three hundred theater range. Yeah. You know, it's not right. it's not limited limited where it's only in like fifteen theaters, but right, it isn't in. You know, it's like probably in every state, but not in every community. Yeah, I see here on on my screen it you know how on IMDb it tells you how many theaters near you. It's in three yeah. theaters near my closest city. It says so. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, like I think there are like in Salt Lake City, for instance, there are like five different theaters that are showing it, but none in Provo, which is the second biggest city in Utah. So mm. if you think about it, kind of in those terms, I know in Dave's area, it's playing in Philadelphia, but nowhere else. So, right. 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 Yeah, and that's a shame because uh, Dave is a big show tunes guy. He was the lead in Godspell, and uh, yes. he did a. Yeah. Yeah, and cats. Uh, that's right. That's right. Midnight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Joshua, where do you come in on your rating for Anna and the Apocalypse? Well, um, as I was watching the movie, I was thinking a lot about this, and I was thinking about what I talked about earlier with Krampus as well, because I think my initial tendency is to give this somewhere in the kind of seven point five to eight range objectively as a piece of cinema however it's christmasy nature i would say is also in the seven to eight range and so for me as a christmas horror film this is not my official rating but i will say it so far it's already kind of elevated it above that rating because i think as we return to the holidays each year this is one of those unlike many 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 of the others i'm going to talk about tonight that i will buy and will go in my annual rotation or at least semi-annual rotation okay so i'm going to give and the apocalypse an eight and i'm going to say if you can stomach the musical it's a buy it okay um yeah and i think like krampus i could see this me kind of reevaluating my feelings for it after my third Christmas in a row watching it, you know? Right. And, and this is one, if, if it's playing in a theater near the listeners, you're saying go check it out in the theater. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to give so many caveats, but you know, it is definitely comedy first before horror and it's definitely a musical. So some people will have issues with both of those things. And I think if you think you're that person, you probably are like it. Mm-hmm. It really is a musical. Like it's not just kind of a musical, like it's, a full on musical. So yeah, um, <clears throat> be aware of that, but man, it's fun. And, and it was really Christmassy. Now there is some green grass in this. I will admit that, <laughs> but there are a lot of Christmas lights constantly and beautiful, beautiful Christmas light shots. The, one of the main characters wears a ugly Christmas sweater through the entire film. That's really awesome. And lights up. Um, <laughs> Anna has got a giant candy cane that she gouges through the heads of many a zombie and um, they want, there's a great scene that takes place in an indoor Christmas tree emporium with the lights off. So there's this great scene where it looks like they're running through the woods kind of almost, but they're inside this Christmas tree store. So very Christmassy um, and definitely one to check out around the holidays. Do you know how they did? uh, They took Deadpool two and then they did once upon a Deadpool I've heard of it. I have not seen it. Okay. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen it either, but we reviewed it. Uh, 
just this week on Movie Podcast Weekly, and they took they basically took Deadpool two, and I I won't even spoil in case people want to go into it completely blind, and they did like a, a remix of it, let's just say, and and so I wonder if Anna and the Apocalypse could ever have a remix where they hmm. just remove the musical aspect because honestly i could deal with comedy horror but when you have comedy and musical in there i'm like i'm out not my cup of tea you know like i just Uh, what musicals do you like jay i i only like like singing in the rain i think that's a masterpiece (laughs) obviously and then and then i like modern type musicals like once where where the musical aspects are organically incorporated in it's just not some idiot who starts singing what about out of a disney movie are you can you handle a disney movie well can i handle it well no i don't like musicals because there again it, it breaks the spell of realism i hate when people just start singing randomly it bothers me so much i'm just i hear you either again i'm not i wouldn't call myself a fan i'm definitely more open to them than you mm-hmm. but i would say a there are a couple of musical sequences where I was just like, I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> but there were d- at least two that I was hyped about. Like I really, really enjoyed one of them is the morning when they realize there's been a zombie outbreak during the night. Mm-hmm. I loved that musical sequence. And then there's another musical sequence at the end that I really enjoyed. And they're almost just like the baby driver musical sequences where they're so well incorporated into action moments that they work. Okay. And there's one in the middle, a zombie bashing scene. I really enjoyed as well. Hmm. Um, So, you know what? There were three solid musical numbers out of like, I don't know how many there were six to eight. And so I, you know, I think they did a good job with it. Yeah. But yeah, you, if you hate musicals, (laughs) you know, tread lightly. Yeah. I'm intrigued. Okay. But like Greg Amortis, he's a hardcore horror fanatic and he likes musicals. He's going to love this. Yeah. Yeah. He does. Yeah. yeah. Cause I know he likes like repo quite a bit. So yeah. And anyways, awesome. All right. And then, and then I believe you had some kind of peripherally related, uh, other zombie Christmas things, right? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I was hoping that you guys would get a chance to see this. And then I wanted to talk about the other Zomcom Christmas movies, but I'll just save it for either, another Christmas horror episode. Cause hopefully we'll keep doing these year after year. Mm-hmm. Or um, if we ever do that Zomcom episode with Dr. Walking dead, but the two that I would recommend one of them is on prime right now. So it's easy to watch uh, the two films I was going to talk about are stalled and a cadaver Christmas. Those are both zombie comedy Christmas movies as well. Um, they're both extremely low budget, like micro budget movies they're still both entertaining, I will say, and particularly stalled works, in my opinion. You're not going to think so first. You're going to think, this looks like crap. And then you're going to think, this is pretty lame. But it wins you over, and it does it really well. I was extremely impressed with stalled by the end. Um, and again, that one's free if you've got Amazon Prime right now. I think it's worth checking out. You could do worse. Well, I love I love the premise of that one. I know you don't want to talk about it in depth, but it just it's it's a siege narrative, right? A guy is a janitor's trapped in a woman's restroom stall, and there's yeah, a horde of it. zombies outside. I mean, that's that's pretty. That's the whole movie. Yeah, intriguing to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's fun because it breaks the zombie again. It's an infected film, but it breaks out during the Christmas party. So he's just going about his business, you know, <laughs> fixing the bathroom. 
Mm-hmm. And when he walks into the bathroom, it's the, it's the office Christmas party. And before he can get out of the bathroom, it's the zombie apocalypse. So, wow. It's pretty fun. Cool. But again, super, super low budget. Like there's only maybe one or two movies that we're going to talk about tonight that look as bad as this does. It just happens to rise above its production values and its budget. But yeah, of the two, I would recommend stalled. And it also is easier to watch for low cost. So that would be my recommendation, I guess, of the two for now. And yeah, I do want to revisit both and talk with you guys about them at a future date. That sounds great. Okay. Thank you. And at this point then, uh, let's move into our Shuttered Sponsored Screaming Online segment. Welcome back to our Shutter Sponsored Screaming Online segment. Super happy to have Shutter as a sponsor again. They've got some amazing christmas horror that we're going to be talking about coming up soon amc shutter is a premium streaming video service serving fans with the best selection of horror and thrillers on the internet a lot of people call this the netflix of horror as jay alluded to at the top of the show you can stream all these great films for 4.99 a month or use our coupon code which we'll talk to you about in a minute You can watch us on your Apple devices, your Android devices, Xbox, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, and Roku. And they're all kinds of awesome human curated movies and television series to enjoy. I'm really enjoying what Shudder's doing. They create these awesome collections and they've got a great Christmas collection this year with Christmas horror movies. They've got Black Christmas 1974. Christmas Evil, 1980, A Christmas Horror Story, 2016, Better Watch Out, 2017, and all of those we've covered on our previous Christmas Horror episodes. So if you've missed those, this is a great opportunity to watch those movies and pair that with one of our classic HMP podcasts. They've also got a movie called Follow from 2016, which I've been meaning to catch up with. Um, Maybe we could get to that one next year, but I'm really excited about the films that shutter has available again this is stephen king month on shutter so you can go over there and catch misery that's a great film to watch in the winter time and we are going to talk about a shutter exclusive all the creatures were stirring hey i got everything (laughs) is dinner ready yet You all die. All load on Christmas chat. You sure you don't want to wait in the van? You know what? I should wait by my car. You'll be visited by three ghosts. ghosts. Pure poppycock. Someone will open a gift. And the next person can steal someone else's already open gift. This is gonna be so much fun! (laughs) Hey guys, come check out this star. Hey, 
We really should have fired you. Anything's better than being alone on Christmas Eve. All the Creatures We're Stirring is a 2018 film. It's directed by David Ian McKendry and Rebecca McKendry, who we're going to hear from a little bit later on the show, an interview. Mm-hmm. It's a Christmas horror anthology, Jay. And there is a kind of a weird wraparound, actually. This couple who are on a pretty awkward date go to a black box theater for a very bizarre show mm-hmm. uh, with Christmas themed horror stories. All of the titles I believe pulled from the classic a night before Christmas, just as the title of the film, all the creatures were stirring. Yeah. And each time a new segment of the theatrical performance begins, we kind of cut to a filmic version of that play. And I initially found the theater transitions kind of jarring because they didn't seem super logical as a, as a way to uh, transition, I guess, from a live theater into a movie. But I quickly began to appreciate it. I started looking forward to seeing how they were going to transition in and out of the short films back into the theatrical experience. Mm-hmm. And there are some really fun examples of this, but basically You've got this collection of stories that, as you would expect, focus around different elements of the holiday. And as I alluded to earlier in our discussion, this film has a white elephant horror in it as part (laughs) of the procedure. I would say that's the least effective of the tales, Mm -hmm. but it's interesting, you know, and it's a very bold way to start off. Well, I'm with you. I I wasn't really getting the whole sort of stage reenactments. But I thought what was interesting was that the two main characters weren't getting it either. They're looking at each other go, do you know what's going on? You know, like they weren't really getting it either. Um, but then it, 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 you're right. Each time they would do it, you, you'd be like, okay, they're getting started. And then when they would come back, it was pretty interesting as it went on. And it was, I think Maria Olson uh, was the one who, the, the character who came out and changed the cards. Right which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. It's fun Um, to see her. Yeah. yeah. So Jay, this may actually, I was hoping we could go one whole episode without bringing it up, (laughs) but since you already alluded to it, white elephant horror may be a worthy successor (laughs) to your pig headed. horror, (laughs) Right. Yeah. Especially since, and you guys might not go for this, but wouldn't it be killer? This would actually work better as a short film, but if you had white elephant horror and then like, your present was a literal white elephant in African yeah. elephant, and it started gourd everyone stomping yeah. people at the party. That'd be so <laughs> freaking awesome as a surprise. Right. Anyways. <laughs> so what you have here is there's one tale that's an office Christmas party. There's one tale about a guy who hates his neighbors, garish Christmas lights and is avoiding going over to his girlfriend's parents' house for the holiday. There's a guy who is, doing some last minute minute Christmas shopping and is the last person to leave the store and finds himself in an empty parking lot on Christmas Eve and danger ensues. There is a tale that is uh, reindeer influenced and (laughs) you know, it's, it's been a while since we've seen some good reindeer horror, but this movie has a, a, a bit of it. 
And um, is that it, Dave? Am I am I remembering um, all? Too? Oh, and then there's like a fifties sci-fi. Fifties sci-fi, yes, exactly. Yeah. That there was the there was that one as well. And then they even sort of tie back into the the wraparound. Um, yes. and, and, and at the end too, in a, in a rather interesting way. Um, you know, when when you get to an anthology, we always talk about what were the strongest ones. You know, what were the strongest segments. And for me, um, the guy shopping at Christmas. Yes. That was probably the strongest one. I agree. That was the one I wanted to actually see go a little further. I wanted to know everything about that story. I love the mythology. Exactly. That was, that was a fascinating thing. Uh, and I kind of enjoyed the 50 sci-fi as well. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, how they, how they did that one also. Um, and not, but I didn't think any. I there wasn't one that I thought was awful. Yeah, um, they definitely had different, you know, different quality, different levels of quality. But um, even the first one, I liked that, that Christmas party setting, uh, and I thought that was kind of interesting as well. But no, for for me, definitely the the parking lot. That one was like, wow, this is really really cool and I, I don't think this is quite at the level of like a christmas horror story but i i liked it i really did uh, uh enjoy this and and none of the stories were were overly long you know they, they all sort of were were brief and leaving you wanting for more yeah I, and yeah i couldn't tell if that was a plus or a negative honestly like i i kept going back and forth because on one hand i thought man some of these are just kind of feel like an idea and without like a real conclusion, like I need a little bit more from this, but you're right. I was always left wanting more. And as an, you know, as an audience member, that's probably the better place to be left right. than man. I'm getting really tired of this. Right. You know? right. Exactly. Uh, the, the one of the guy alone in his house, who's perturbed by his neighbor's Christmas lights, mm-hmm. had some really cool ghosts. And I just, yeah. it, you know, it, it had the promise of a Christmas Carol like situation being visited by three ghosts and it had this really cool tie in to him watching an old classic Christmas tale on television. Right. right. I loved that element of it. And I really mm-hmm. liked the look of the ghosts yeah. and I would have liked to see more of that one as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, some, that. Of them seemed, some of them were just very brief, you know, yeah. they seemed brief maybe because we were just sort of, sort of into it and they just seemed like it, like, wow, that was really quick. But they squeeze a lot into this movie, and I, I give the the filmmakers credit. They they get a lot in there, and I think they they manage to keep it for the most part very interesting. Yeah, they almost end like if they were feature films at the end of the inciting incident scene. You know what I mean? Yes. Like mm-hmm. they they kind of end like oh, okay, now that we're going to jump into the full storyline of how do these characters deal with this threat, like. That really was the case for me with the first one. I thought, okay, now we know who the bad guy is. Now the story begins, but that's really actually like kind of where it ends, you know? Right, right, (laughs) exactly. And I got that feeling a few times, and which again, it makes sense for a short film. And it also makes sense for leaving you wanting more because you do want to see, wow, okay, well, maybe we can get David and Rebecca to come back and give us, you know, a feature length version of one of these stories. Right. Know, right. Exactly. And then, you know, as a filmmaker, that's again, probably not a bad situation right. to leave your audience in. Yeah. When you guys describe the uh, perturbed neighbor 
um, it was irritated by the Christmas lights. It reminded me a little bit of the the neighbors in the <laughs> Christmas vacation next door right. to the Griswolds. So I wondered <laughs> if it went there. Right now, this guy, this guy's not quite that level. Okay. Of, uh, <laughs> um, this is this this guy's just a, a douche, you know. <laughs> but um, but he well, does. They get, are they are on Christmas vacation too. Well, they are on Christmas vacation too. Yeah, <laughs> Big they time. are. I don't know, Margot. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and um, I was also after you shower, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I liked I liked seeing that. Um, I, I didn't get a chance to watch this, but I, I noticed that Constance Wu is in this, and I like her from Crazy Rich Asians. I, and, How she, is she? and she plays, and she plays a good. She's in the Fifty Sci-Fi. Yeah. Um, right. and she's the she's the character who's sort of learning. She's she's the audience. She's she's the, like our representative in that movie where she's learning what's going on. They go over to this guy's house who's already supposedly lived through this for ten Christmases um, as to what's happening, and uh, so she's uh, experiencing it all for the first time. And uh, no, she she does a fine job. I think most of the performances in this are are uh, are solid. You know, I can't oh, think yeah, of any that were that were a letdown. There's some really good performances and a lot of recognizable faces, you know, for horror fans that they'll, there are a lot of the people who are involved in the almost human film, you know, those guys, mm-hmm. they're it's like a group of filmmakers beyond the gates and uh, they did a right. few movies together. Mm-hmm. Those guys are, are very recognizable and they pop up throughout the story. <clears throat> My favorite actress in the whole thing. I was with her name is Makeda Declet is how I'm going to choose to pronounce her name. I don't know <laughs> if that's the correct pronunciation. She was one of the young ladies in uh, the parking lot story. Oh yeah, and man. Mm-hmm. I thought she was awesome. I could watch the Absolutely. whole movie with her easy. Absolutely. The show also features the lady from house of the devil. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, Jocelyn Donahue. Yeah, yes. Jocelyn. Yeah, she was good. Yeah, she's she's not in it much, but but she's great. Yeah, right. But Chase you know Williamson what? is in it. He's Dave from John Dies at the End. Mm-hmm. He's in the guest. Um, he's in it for a minute yeah. <laughs> as well. He's also in it, Beyond the Gates. You're right. A lot of very recognizable faces uh, faces in this. And I'll tell you what, Jay. I'm just going to go out on a limb here for for the segment that we're talking about in the parking lot. Mm-hmm. I think you would absolutely love that segment you would be really impressed to the point that yes i think this would be an interesting full-length movie about learning about this you know what's going on there oh yeah. now I think it's not exactly like the babadook or it follows or anything like that and it has a little bit more of a popcorn feel than either of those but mm-hmm. it does remind me of a creation like that that you could really base a whole movie around or yeah, um, lights out or something like that Right. Excellent. Yeah, I love stuff like them. Yeah, so for me, this one is not necessarily a new classic yet, but it is one I could see myself returning to because I still think it is in the upper 80 percentile of Christmas horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a little bit below a Christmas horror story for me, as Dave mentioned. I'm going to give this one a 6 out of 10. And on the Christmas scale, I would give it also a 6. I think they do have a lot of uniquely Christmas situations, but several of them don't fall 
particularly Christmassy to me. Like the parking lot one doesn't feel particularly Christmassy. The um, sci-fi one doesn't feel particularly Christmassy. And I would tell people to stream it on Shutter. All right. What do you say, Dave? I'm just a little higher. I'm eight. I'm eight out of ten, and I say stream it absolutely. Uh, there are definitely more hits than misses uh, in this, and that includes the wraparound um, and where that eventually goes. So, yeah, eight out of ten, and stream it on Shutter uh, without a doubt. And it is coming out on Blu-ray after the holiday season. I want to say it's in January sometime that this is coming out. Um, it's the DVD is already available. As oh, well. the DVD is okay. I, this and the Blu-ray, I guess, is later, but it's close to a. Uh, one that I, I would definitely consider picking up and because uh, I can see myself watching this again. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so that's called All the Creatures Were Stirring. It is currently streaming on Shudder. And before we wrap up our Screaming Online segment, let's cut to our interview with David Ian and Rebecca McKendry. So at this point in the show, we would like to welcome the directors of All the Creatures Were Stirring, Rebecca and David Ian McKendry. Welcome to the sixth annual horror movie podcast, Christmas Horror Episode. Thank, Thank you for you having us so on. Thank you so much for having us Thank on. Thank you. And on that note, I would love to ask you, what drew you to Christmas horror? We go nuts at Christmas time. Um, even right now, as we're doing this, we're, we're Skyping in from our home and we're in front of a giant Christmas tree and I've got Christmas crap all over my desk and we just go nuts. And um, yeah, so it was kind of our one of our yeah. favorite times of the year. Yeah, I think it's because we both hail from small towns. Yeah. Like I, I uh, lived in uh, my younger days in Derby, Kansas. Becca's from Winchester, Virginia. Yeah, real small and, uh, Appalachian town. Christmas is a really important holiday for the small towns, like uh, Christmas and Fourth of July. I yeah, think are the only two nuts. holidays that are celebrated in small towns. And so um, when we were first approached by Fallback Clan Productions about doing something with them, um, they asked us for a couple of different ideas. And uh, we knew we were working within a very, very specific budget range. And so um, a lot of the stuff that we'd approached with, it was kind of like, oh, this is too expensive or too big, or we can't afford to fly the cast to, you know, this place. Um, but we knew we had proposed a Christmas anthology and they were like, okay, this is doable. This is, this could work within the budget range. And cool. so, um, yeah, that's kind of how the project came to be. Mm -hmm. and, and Dave and I are such huge <clears throat> Christmas fans um, that it was awesome to be able to write. So it was conceived as a feature length anthology from the beginning then. Oh yeah. Now some of the concepts okay. in it um, were feature films that Dave and I had written that like we knew we would never get made anywhere mm. else. It's kind of like, I feel like most screenwriters um, or filmmakers have like a stash of ideas that they're like, no one will ever buy yeah. this. It's like too batshit crazy. No one will ever pick this up. Um, but we, we used a couple of those concepts in it. Like um, the final one with Constance Wu, um, was, was based off a feature that we created. Um, the one with the monster in the van was based off a feature, um, but kind of subsidizing them down, kind of finding the meat that makes them um, work and, and putting that into an anthology story. Interesting. So what were the biggest challenges, maybe unforeseen challenges with working in 
the anthology format? Uh, trying to make sure everything meshed together um, was definitely one of them because we knew that we wanted everything to feel very different. Like we wanted to have one that really felt like a giallo film, an Italian horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where like the reindeer segment came about. And um, so, yeah. And, and if you watch it, like we have a lot of giallo nods in there, like the black gloves and he's a photographer. And so we knew, um, you know, that we wanted each one to have a real different style to it. And so um, what we did when Morgan and Joe said we pitched it with maybe three shorts um, when we first took it to them. And then when they said, "Okay, we like this, let's get going. Dave and I created probably 20 different concepts, 20 different uh, segments for it. And then we took all 20 back to Morgan and Joe and kind of went through as a group and said, these are the most different. And then also these are the ones that we can afford. Yeah. Um, And the other thing we looked for was um, what ideas we had were actually from Christmas and what wasn't us just like, you know, having a Christmas setting and then pasting a slasher into it. Yeah, we, wanted, we to really have, wanted to make sure that they We were, wanted to have Christmas theme segments, yeah, like the office parties and shopping. Uh, shopping and The pivotal moment of all of them, like this could not exist at another time of year. Because we did have some that were just like, oh yeah, it's a woman by herself and there's a slasher and it happens to be Christmas Eve. Yeah, there's a tree in the back. Yeah, there's a tree. And we were like, no, 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 let's cut those ones. Now we're, now we're just doing a diehard thing. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas is built into the DNA of each of these stories, which is, that's great. Can you talk about any of those specifically and ideas that were really interesting to you in terms of the Christmas elements? I mean, the first one, for instance, is very heavily, like it has to be Christmas in order for that story to exist. Were there Christmas ideas that were interesting for you to explore? We knew we wanted to do one on last minute shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the one that we we were definitely yeah. like from the get go. We were like, we want to do something on last minute shopping. And then it became questions of, well, get a whole store and have it be like an actual shopping scene. So what is fascinating about that moment that is kind of within our micro indie range. Yeah. And I wanted to do something that was uh, geared towards that friend Christmas. Yeah. The friend you know, Christmas. It's a big thing in LA where most of the people here are transplants moving in and out of the city on the holidays. And so you have right. a lot of like the leftovers here that are, are celebrating Christmas <laughs> alone. Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah, we wanted to hit on that, uh, that theme and then blank happens. And yeah. I say what the blank is. But. And we also <laughs> knew that we wanted it to be LA Christmas, um, because our first couple of years here, um, before we had kids and kind of made a home here, um, Dave and I, we were from these tiny little towns on the East coast and Christmas just felt strange here. Not bad. It was just slightly off because it's hot. And I remember our first Christmas here, we <laughs> hiked Runyon Canyon and then barbecued in the backyard. Yeah, and the and the streets here are like uh, Night of the Comet. Yeah, it looks like Night of the Comet outside. <laughs> yeah. But yet, a lot of the restaurants are still open because, yep. like, last year we went to Cantor's on Christmas Day. Yeah, we did. And, um, so, yeah. <laughs> Might it's do it just, again this year. Yeah, we may <laughs> do it again this year because we don't like cooking. Um, so, yeah, it just feels different from what we were used to, but we were kind of like that different uh, kind of more creepy feeling of Christmas was a good entry point for us. Also, um, Dave and I come from an experimental theater background originally. It's how we met. And we've done weird Christmas presentations. So that's where that one kind of came about as well. <laughs> so appropriate that the friend LA Christmas has a very alien uh, feel to it. You could say. Well done, sir. Yes. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> 
there were segments that I thought, wow, this could be an amazing feature. The monster in the van mm-hmm. segment, as he called it, like, oh, I, I want to see the, an entire film based hey, on this. We have that uh, ready to go. If you, yeah. if you have some investors yeah. listening, it's ready. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, we've had that one kind of done um, for a long stretch. Thank you, by the way. Thank you so much. Oh, I was completely sucked in and I was like, oh, wow, I, w- I want to see more of this. You talked about your micro budget. Um, you had some great practical effects in that segment. And there were some I really enjoyed the uh, the digital effects that you had at a couple points. Those are often Thank hard you. to pull off on a small budget. I thought the the ghosts um, were you nervous and what was your approach to approaching both the practical and digital? Oh my gosh, we were uh, we so were nervous, nervous. But we had uh, our editor, uh, Jeff Seidman, was on set with us for a lot of that. Yeah, that he was, was a really good thing. visual artist, and I, I would highly recommend if you are an indie filmmaker to to have your editor on mm-hmm. set with you, um, mm. just so they can you know give you advice on on how things are going to cut together, um, what they can do visually to yeah. enhance scenes. Uh, that was a yeah. huge help for us. Yeah, Jeff at the time was also editing American Gods, so he was doing a lot of the visual effects, um, kind of uh, editing the visual effects with that as well. As he said, he was changing penis sizes. Yeah, he was like that. doing all this crazy <laughs> stuff with American Gods. And um, so we we approached him before, like before we even started uh, kind of doing our shot list for those segments that we knew we had to have the digital effects in and said, how do we shoot this to make it look good, but still we knew we had to be super cost efficient with them. Yeah. We had to approach it from a, what do you need to make? Yeah. What do you need? What, what do we need to make this good and cheap and how do we make it happen in editing? And that was one of the biggest things for us. Um, I was really scared about the gunshots personally, and we knew that they were going to look off because as you mentioned, it's a very um, different segment, the way that the the gunshots get presented in it. But we had seen so many digital gunshots that I was just like, Oh my God, it scared me. I wanted to do live squibs, but the cost difference between doing a digital mm-hmm. gunshot versus doing a live one on set oh my God. was it's, ridiculous. I mean, like you, the amount of people you need on set just to fire right. a gun once. And <laughs> we would have to completely reset, get the blood off the wall, reset yep. the entire makeup, the costumes, the hair, clean it all up just to get two or three takes of it. Mm-hmm. And then we had to have a firearms person. We had to buy extra insurance yeah, for it. it and don't get me wrong. I love the way that a real squib looks. Yeah. I mean, it looks wonderful, but yeah, it's, it was, it's so it was it's insane. thousands of dollars to fire a gun. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were kind of just, once we started looking at it, we were like, okay, you know what? It's going to have to be yeah. digital, but how can we shoot this so that it's going to look okay and it's not going to, you're, you're not going to have a lot of the seams. Um, the one that we knew we wanted to do practical on was the van segment. Yeah. With that one, we um, worked with our good friend, Chris Dumbos, who had done American Horror Story and a bunch of other amazing stuff. And Dave and I, um, we knew kind of what we wanted it to look like. We're both big D&D fans. Mm. And so we went in and kind of um, I think we referenced the Wraith from D&D. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, uh, a little bit of Lich and uh, Ghoul. Yeah, so like we were pulling from Ooh. all these different monsters that we liked and uh, said kind of create an amalgam of all of them. And the Black Ooze monster. And, oh, yeah, and the Black Ooze monster, yeah. <laughs> and um, like I knew I wanted it to have really long fingernails. And so um, he hired, uh, he was deathly sick that weekend, so he got Pepe Mora. Um, who had just come off Game of Thrones, and he did the oh, actual yeah. build on set. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, it looks fantastic, digital and practical alike. Um, On just a quick note on the topic of guns, one of my first jobs was as a props assistant on a World War II movie. And so I I just want to say you definitely made the right choice with regard to (laughs) not using squibs. That is a nightmare to deal with. That's what everyone told us. And finally, we were just like, oh, fine. But we pick and chose like what we thought needed to be practical. Like we knew um, what happens to um, the first person who opens a present in the office scene. We knew we wanted the bulk of that to be practical. And so um, that was the second person. No, he's the first. He's the second. He's the first to open. Oh, second. He is the second. You're right. You're right. Um, But we were shooting. This is where practical becomes a dicey situation. We were shooting that at an office that was definitely not ours. Um, It was actually where I worked. It was a production studio that I was working full time at at the time. And they said we could use the office over um, Labor Day weekend. Um, So we had like a three day stretch to shoot it. But knowing that it was my full time employer at the time. And that it was not my office. Firing a blood cannon was not something I was really comfortable doing. So we, before we started, we went out in the parking lot and tested like four different blood cannons to figure out which one was yeah. not going to like. We started with the big one. Yeah, and, we started uh, with the big it one. Sprayed blood like forty feet the, up it, in the it air. Could have covered uh, the side of a building. Yeah. And I, I, like my mouth dropped, it was like a trauma level of blood and my mouth dropped it. I was like, Oh God, I'm so glad we tested these things outside. And then, um, gradually we worked our way down to a very small positional, very focused spray. Um, so that I was comfortable doing it, knowing that it was not going to, you know, destroy the room and my employment. Mm -hmm. But we were very grateful for the options of the blood cannon. Yes. (laughs) So listening to your interactions, that brings up another question for me. Uh, what were some of the joys and challenges of working with each other as a, as a couple, as a partnership? Well, we've been working together for 15, 15 years. 15 years, yeah. That's, oh, that's not just marriage. That's you know working together, doing uh, theater. Yeah, yeah like uh, we met working together. Dave and I met together on a theatrical production. And then um, before we ever even really like started like – dating like being like a permanent couple we were already permanent couple permanent couple this is my permanent spouse no before it ever like got really serious between us we were already on other projects and a lot of it dave was the director and i was the choreographer mm-hmm. and then we were co-directing we of hair and jesus christ superstar, superstar. yeah so we were yeah. We did we a ton big of stuff. Musical theater nerds. Yeah, and um, within a couple of years, we were both working together at Fangoria, and we worked together at Fangoria for like thirteen years. Yeah. And Dave oh, was wow. doing stuff in the television department and, and yeah. production, and I was um, director of marketing. And then we started working together for Blumhouse as well, where I was editing, and Dave was one of the head writers. And so we've just kind of always worked together. Like I think it would be weird not to. Yeah. Um, but cool. yeah, that said, I mean, we argue like crazy, like seriously, <laughs> our only arguments are over, over scripts. scripts. Yeah. yeah like, production. but we always say that if we don't argue over it, it's probably not good because we don't care about it. Like if we're not willing to fight for a choice, it's probably like a really meh decision anyway. Or if we fight really heavily over something. It usually turns out that we're both wrong. Yeah, we're both completely wrong. If it's like a, he has to be a chiropractor. No, he has to be a dentist. It usually means that both choices He's are gonna complete be an auto shit. Repairman. Yeah, and we're going to make him an auto repairman eventually. But we have to like fight through it to get there. 
Um, so our neighbors probably think we're like really volatile people. Yeah, so far, no no calls to the police for domestic violence. Yeah, it's true. Calls but yeah, we it. definitely, our kids are used to it now. Yeah, um, they'll tell us to stop talking about yeah, movies. They'll be like, stop talking about movies because we pitch each other stuff constantly. Um, so yeah. They, but our five-year-old daughter has started pitching things as well. Yeah, so. she's only in kindergarten and we'll be in the middle of a discussion. Of, she'll be like, guys, what if you just make him a werewolf? And we're like, consider it considering so yeah <laughs> don't it's tell a, her that we'll have to give her credit i know she's gonna want writing credit now we'll give her associate producer story, pro- story by <laughs> so i was gonna ask you where the idea came from for the theater kind of wraparound mm-hmm. segments it sounds like that's oh yeah very that's very much in your in your background and not yeah, we not a leap at all. Oh yeah, that we, uh, one was like most personal to us. Yeah, because our school that we went did our undergraduate in was heavily experimental experimental theater uh realm. Yeah, like we had to wear black to class and yeah. did like we did. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have to, but everybody was in black and combat boots. Yeah, and black like, and combat boots. You knew all the theater magic majors because they were dressed like uh moment shops or yeah. something like that. But uh <laughs> yeah, black combat boots, black turtlenecks yeah and uh and uh, everybody mm-hmm. was into a lot of that like movement based theater yeah it was and... a lot of experimental movement stuff and dave and i we did it and we found kind of a sick pleasure in it like yeah i always mean, thought it was hilarious do. but at the same time it's funny that you're doing it yeah and um <laughs> so we we kind of just found humor in it and we've always um just been really amused by it and and kind of a, a sick you know, giggle kind of way. And uh, so when we were looking at different ways to connect them together, we knew that we wanted the wraparound to have meat to it, that we didn't just want it to be like, here's a quick intro and now another story and a quick intro and another story. We wanted it to be something that you were actually engaged and looking forward to getting back to. And so we went through a couple of different ideas how to do that, but we ultimately decided on the theater one because it was kind of the one that was most personal to us. And it was the one that as we were discussing it, we knew exactly how we wanted it to look. We knew exactly what we wanted the audience to look like and the actors and everything. Like we could visualize it just from our early pitch sessions. That's really interesting. Uh, yeah, because it it is kind of a bold choice actually for a film like this. <laughs> But it's but it works really well and, and by like the second or third one I yeah I really found myself looking forward to seeing the how it would come in and out of the short film segments. Thank you. Know, you. Like, hey, I, Thank wonder, you. I wonder is- what they're going to be doing on stage after this. Yeah, and that was one of the things we wanted to have the audience be thinking of is how did they just act out that performance yeah. that they just <laughs> right, that yeah. you just watched? But that theater element has been by far the most polarizing element of the film. Like some of the stuff that we're reading online was like they lost me at experimental theater, mm-hmm. and but other people are like, oh my god, that was so hilarious. So yeah. it's by far been like you know the most polarizing. Everybody either loves it's that stuff or hates it. Yeah, Thank it's you. real strong. Yeah, we we came up with the idea of like we're gonna do it in a theater and. and I like the idea that people are going to watch it and go, oh, good, another anthology that takes place in a theater, you know, another wraparound. It's like, let's present this piece we're going to see. But no, we wanted it to actually be a a segment all its own and something that was interesting to watch. There was a version of it where we were thinking about doing like a kid's play. Oh, yeah, like making the uh, the play like like elementary school and they're acting out these horrible, horrific acts. We may have to attempt that in a sequel. We might have to, but that was we. That's pretty funny. The logistics of kids is about as as hard as uh, using a gun on stage. Yeah, that's another one that you don't do when you're working on a small, small budget. We discovered that having children was, um, 
you know, they can only be on set for certain amounts of time and you have to hire studio teachers. And we were just like, okay, budgetary choices, not doing the kids. So, yeah. Very cool. Well, I could talk to you guys for hours, but we'll, we'll let you go for now, but thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having us on. Yeah, tell our listeners where they can find your film and also catch up with you guys online. Yes, yeah, so we the film is currently in Redbox. We're on in Walmart and Target. We you can get us on Amazon, um, and we're also on Shutter right now as well. And then um, to find us, I'm just under Rebecca McKendry everywhere. And you can also um, uh, we both have separate podcasts through the Blumhouse Network. I have a podcast called Shockwaves that I co-host with some wonderful horror nerds. Uh, I have uh, a podcast called uh, Fear Initiative that is a wonderful D&D podcast where uh, we play Dungeons and Dragons with uh, some horror film insiders. Uh, Cool. And yeah, but you can find us online, Rebecca McKendry and David Ian McKendry. And I am Die Dave Die on uh, Twitter, Twitter. on the Twitter bot. Very cool. So guys, this is right here is the reason for me uh, why people should... Uh, check out Shutter if you haven't already. By way of background, so Joe Bob Briggs, let me just, I, I know I've been beating this drum, but let me just have a second here. The first thing I want to tell people is I'm from West Virginia, and I, for it doesn't offend me, but I don't usually appreciate like the redneck shtick as a comedy thing. Like, like I can't stand uh, Jeff Foxworthy's humor or Larry the Cable Guy and stuff. But for whatever reason, I love Joe Bob Briggs for real. And it doesn't, yeah, the, his, the redneck Texan uh, humor that he does doesn't bother me at all. I don't, I don't know why, but I actually really appreciate it. And I'm also a fan of his sidekick, Darcy the Male Girl. For those who, uh, who don't know, like, I mean, this guy's American film critic, author, uh, comic performer, I have a buddy at work who's a big reader. I mean, he's read many books. He's a book collector. And he said that one of Joe Bob's books is is like his funniest book that he's ever owned. Anyways, people will know him. He hosted the drive-in theater on the movie channel and TNT's Monster Vision during the 90s. And then last summer on Shudder, he broke the internet with the last drive-in. And then he successfully... Um, did a Dinners of Death movie marathon on Thanksgiving. And so now, this upcoming Friday night, and that's December 21st, 2018, airing live at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, Joe Bob's going to be streaming another all-night live horror movie marathon called A Very Joe Bob Christmas. And it's going to stream in the United States. And for those listeners in Canada... And in the UK, you'll also be able to watch it as well. Now, I'm telling you the truth when I tell you, I'm more excited about this than I am for Christmas itself. And I'm, I'm not even joking. I freaking love these things. Um, it, it's exclusively on Shutter. He's going to host four horror movies from a single film franchise. Now, he hasn't revealed the franchise, right? There's a lot of speculation. Some horror fans think it might be Silent Night, Deadly Night, but I have my doubts because I think that might be too obvious. Maybe not. Others have speculated that maybe he's going to do like uh, the Phantasm franchise. Nobody knows for sure, but here are some hints that he said, and I want to put you to the to the test and see if you guys, what theories you have. Here, here are the hints he's given us. 
He said that these movies represent the spirit of drive-in Christmas. He says that they will not be the predictable ones, like the ones that you would assume he's going to pick. I already said they're from a franchise. He said that he thinks these are films that, that you should be watching at Christmas. And he also said that he would be interrupting these movies from time to time to explain what they might mean, which which <laughs> is pretty funny. And he's also said... He's going to have cameos like he did for Dinners of Death. He's going to have cameos by two iconic guests who have their own action figures. And then ominously, guys, he said on Twitter, you're all going to kill me. <laughs> so th- that that's what we have as hints. Uh, do you guys have any theories? What do you think? What do you think it's going to be this Friday? Well, hmm. I know I heard that there are uh, Silent Night. Deadly Night action figures for parts one and two. So I think right. that's definitely reasonable for that reason. I wondered about that. Yes. Yeah. So maybe it is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, I would be my guess probably. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, in, in the past, like sometimes he does. I mean, he's a genre guy, you know, and so sometimes his drive-in movies, they, they aren't always horror, you know, but, you know, I assume... It, since it's a Christmas special, it's going to be like Christmas horror. So, you know, it makes sense for sure. Anyways, just remember, if you want to enjoy this live with everybody, you got to be subscribed to Shudder. You could try out the, the 30-day free trial we talked about. You get that at Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com slash podcast with our promo code HMP. And when you go there for the first timers at the top, you can click on the link on the navigation bar that says shutter TV and it's a live stream and it's freaking awesome. And so the other thing I want to tell people is if you dig Joe Bob, like I do, then you can see his previous two marathons. I mentioned already, those are streaming on shutter. And then he's going to be doing weekly shows in 2019 where he hosts a drive in double feature. So I'm super pumped about that. Um, Are you guys going to be watching it this Friday night? Uh, yeah, I will yeah, definitely, I don't plan. know if I'm going to be able to watch it live, but I think I'll be watching it over the weekend while I wrap Christmas presents. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Probably myself as well. Yeah. See what I'm doing. I, I have a family thing I tried to get out of, <laughs> which I couldn't cause it's in-law stuff. But as soon as I get home from that, buddy, I'm putting it <laughs> on and I'm going to be joining Joe Bob for this. I cannot wait. The other thing, Josh, you already mentioned among the the Christmas horror movies that are streaming on Shutter. You have uh, Christmas Evil from 1980. We covered that in depth. We did a huge review on that back in episode 37 in our 24. And Dave wasn't a part of that one, so I I apologize for, for what I'm about to say. That was one of my favorite discussions we've ever had on the podcast because I feel like we really got into it. Um, yeah. If, people liked where we started at the beginning of this episode with the themes of Christmas. I feel like we really got deep into it on that episode with regard to our review of Christmas evil. Right. Right. Yeah. And I thank you for saying that. I agree. I I listened to it today and I couldn't believe, um, you know, how in depth we went into that. And so I won't, I won't rehash or spoil any of it because I hope people will go back and listen to episode 37 I only wanted to say, I think you should stream Christmas Evil on Shudder, even though, like, you know, it's not, by by 
cinematic film critic standards, not a great film, but I will say um, it is one of the most bizarre and completely unexpected endings in cinematic history. It's a true cinematic oddity, <laughs> and and we analyze and talk about that a lot. So um, anyways, I hope people will check that out. And we've talked about it a lot on this show, including on this episode, but we've recommended Better Watch Out multiple times, and we did cover it last year at our Christmas episode, along with the interview with the director, Chris Peckover, who's a friend of the show and actually was a listener before he was a guest on the show, uh, before he made Better Watch Out. So that always warms my heart to find out. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, Chris's movie, Better Watch Out, is a must-see, and it's also currently streaming on Shutter. So a lot of great yeah. Christmassy content and non-Christmassy content streaming on Shutter right now. We would love it if you would help support our show by just giving Shutter a free trial. It's easy to do. There are no strings attached, and you can extend their regular seven-day free trial to a 30-day free trial if you use our code. So to try Shutter free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com slash podcast and use the promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com slash podcast with the promo code HMP for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. All right, that wraps up our Screaming Online segment. Special thanks once again to Rebecca and David for joining us. But wait, what do we have here? (laughs) Another guest climbing down the chimney to join us for The Collector's Crypt. Okay, at this point in the show, we are joined by a writer, filmmaker, producer. He's worked for the likes of Trancus International, Fangoria, Scream Horror Magazine, Anchor Bay, so much, too many to name. Um, <laughs> but he's, he's currently producing Blu-rays for Scream Factory, and he is joining us in the Collector's Crypt to talk about his most recent release for Scream Factory. We welcome to the show again, Justin Beam. A Merry Christmas, guys, or whatever your insert holiday is here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Well, welcome. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so, Justin, we just we're excited. I'm excited to talk to you about your new Blu-ray release for Silent Night, Bloody Night. Did I say that right? Silent Dead, Night, Deadly Night. Deadly I'm night. sorry. Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. That was uh, a different because, night that was bloody. <laughs> <laughs> because this <laughs> film, for me, is has always just been there as like a as a bonus on the silent night, deadly night DVD. And so much of the film is a recap. I feel like it hasn't really gotten the attention or any attention (laughs) other than it's, it's probably its biggest moment is, is that it's been used or at least one scene from the film is, is an off used meme in, uh, in the digital space. And so I think that's probably how most people know it is from the garbage day. Uh, moment but (laughs) Justin so what made you want to produce this blu-ray and what made Scream Factory want to do it in the first place the the meme thing is such a unique thing because so few things end up in that realm that aren't (laughs) that aren't sort of born there you know what I mean a lot of memes become repeated and copied and passed around and circulated and all that but they are born 
out of the meme world. And this thing is something completely different. And, and we touch on that in some of the some of the features on the disc. It's such a strange thing that um, can be credited to some extent for this thing even coming out at this point. But the story for this wow. goes back actually a number of years back. It was the winter of 2013, and I was supervising the theatrical re-release of the first Silent Night, Deadly Night in theaters. And so I was okay. hand, I was like the media liaison and working with the producers and the writer to do, you know, I was coordinating all the media outreach and interviews and a bunch of other stuff for the theatrical run. And then life goes on and I'm doing all this other stuff. And then... The, it was last winter, I got a call from, oh no, it was the winter before, so two years ago, I get a call from the producers or an email and they're like, hey, can we talk with you? Now, this is Silent Night, Deadly Night, part one. And I'm like, yeah, sure. So they call me up and they're like, look, our deal with Anchor Bay is up and we have not been happy with what's happened here mm-hmm. with them. And, and when we need a new home, we have no idea where to go with this. Like, we don't, we don't know where to take it and who would do it justice and of course i have been thrilled with my relationship with everybody i've worked with i'll say that but in in particular the cliff and jeff uh, and everybody at shout and scream factory have just been amazing partners and everything that we've done together over the years and so just like uh, i convinced carpenter to bring body bags there for example that was born out of a discussion he and i had and, I never thank and, you for that. Thank you so much for that gift. Oh, oh yeah. Uncut. Yeah, definitely. It's Absolutely. a beautiful oh, release. And yeah. yeah. So yeah, glad that, that film got some attention. Well, that was one. I mean, that's another story for another day, I guess. But that, that was one where I'm like, John got really screwed by Showtime on that originally. And it was thrown out by Artisan on this bare bones trimmed DVD and it just was never done right. So he just sat yeah. on it forever. Like, you know, no one's going to give this love. I'm just going to keep this thing that I cared because he filled it with, he f- populated the film in front of him behind the camera with all of his friends and people he cared about and his, his wife, his producer and all this stuff. And then it, so he, he, this really mattered to him, but it became this lost element in his, in his history. It's really crazy that it just became invisible. So that was a thrill to get that one done. His only edict was, you can't use the original, that video cover art of the guy in the body bag. He said, I hated it. I never was given <laughs> approval on that. No one, <laughs> like, no one showed him that. He's like, we can make this happen. Just guarantee me there's not going to be a reversible sleeve. That, that, that cover art. So, wow, that, interesting. So that was part of the deal when I first approached a shout. And I'm like, hey, so John's game, but here's the deal. And they're like, oh, let's talk about it. So brought everyone together. And so it was similar with Silent Night Part 1, where I approach Shout Factory. And of course, they're like, oh, my God, yes, this would be great. So I went, got everyone together. We got the deal done. And then started. Then I did all the special features and stuff on that. And um, new commentary, documentary, and all the rest of this stuff. Yeah. Awesome and, and, work on that too. We're so oh, we're from Salt Lake City, so it's fun to see oh, all that yeah. stuff get yeah. a nice treatment as well. For sure, for sure. Including and, the Halloween movies you did. You really should come out and, and spend some time with us out here. <laughs> I would love to. I would really love to. That'd be great. And and in Silent Night Part One, and I talk about this in the commentary track too, that there are some Halloween connections in that film. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of that, but 
The guy who plays Barry Sims yeah. for six is the one on the pool table with Linnea who gets thrown out the window. And the Santa that crawls in the window when the cops are on the hunt is Don Shanks. It's Don. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I know, know Don. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Just from the local film world. I've worked with him a couple of times. Heck yeah, man. He still does so much stuff. And uh, so the Silent Night world, it was really exciting because in, in my perspective, as someone who loves winter horror in general, the Silent Night, Deadly Night, part one especially, had always been the at the top of the list for me. I love Christmas Evil. Mm-hmm. I love, there's so many of these movies that yes. I adore. But Silent Night, Deadly Night was always it. And I thought it was the greatest, coolest look for Santa to be all of this. So that was a real honor for me. At the time, we, were, we started talking right away about, well, let's do one and two. And it became clear pretty quickly that two might not be possible for a number of reasons. And so focused on one, came out, everyone really embraced it, which is a, r- a real wonderful thing. And then I thought, well, that was great. On to the next. And I've continued working on other things. And then I, out of nowhere, uh, this spring, I get the call from Shout. And they're like, well, we got part two. I'm like, really? So I dove in head first. And I don't know if you guys are aware, but, well, first of all, I do want to touch on your comment about part two being piggyback, like everyone thinking of it as kind of piggybacking on part one, because that's really the extent right. of the love it's received outside of the videotape release. Right. It's, it's just, just the, the anchor bay threw it on there as, oh yeah, there's also this other one. And, right. and, and I think it's a combination of that plus the... The first one that the first 40 minutes of the film are uh, revisiting the original, probably. But well, so to speak to that here, <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> so <laughs> I just mean in terms of the perception of the film, you know, right, what I mean? right, right, like, right. Definitely, I I think that's the case, and I've even read reviews of the disc that still talk about that, and so that right, and frankly, that became. When, when I approach these things, I like to be involved with films that I love. I, that's, uh, that's my thing. The same thing with articles that I write. I want to be involved with things that I actually care about because that's going to make me invest myself more and whatever. I'll enjoy it more. And this was a, one that I saw from the beginning. I thought, this is possibly one of the most misunderstood films in all of horror. Because if you zoom out and you set all the preconceived notions about it aside and just watch the film and you consider, yeah, it's got all this other footage in it, which we'll touch on in a second, but also look at all that they did with this thing. I mean, there's so many different locations. There's, there's gore effects. There's, there's a, a, a huge car stunt and explosion in it. There's rain machine. I mean, it's not a simple little, so many people forever have been saying this, this piece of garbage movie that's just thrown together. It's just a, it's a cash in, but, it, but you can't say that when you actually sit down, watch the movie and think about all that they put into it, all that, all that was on screen. So right. my mission became, let's hear the stories behind the making of this thing in a way that validates it. And, and once I met, especially director Lee Harry and star Eric Freeman and fell in love with them. They're both just such great people. And Lee is one of the most prolific editors in Hollywood. He, he cuts, if there's a, a big motion picture, 
mega budget thing, he's probably cut the trailer for it. He's this invisible guy that has had his hands in everything in Hollywood forever, but he also directed Silent Night, Deadly Night too. And he's not really been a director. He wasn't before then. And he really hasn't since. So mm, it's yeah. kind of his one thing. And so everyone thinks of him as this, this hack director. Like a lot of people have, it just has given him this really unfair reputation. So, when I put everything together, I got Lee, I got Eric Freeman, I got Liz, I got a number of a couple other guys from the cast to be a part of the whole deal. And as I'm as I'm writing my interview questions, I always like to do them so they sort of weave together in the end in the editing room. And as I'm interviewing Lee, especially, I realized like, man, he put so much into this. And then he presents me, which you're you'll see in the documentary, which the documentary is is almost twice as long as the new footage they shot for this movie. <laughs> my, my documentary is like almost 80 minutes long. And wow. It's, uh, that's like twice as long. But um, it really is this, this pretty incredible story of this guy being handed an impossible mission and then doing something with it that is that you realize is really special. And then when you bring in another, uh, there were all these sort of freshman efforts from people involved, like... It was Liz's first film. It was Eric's first film. It was mm-hmm. Lee's first film as director. And because of this, they're all very upfront about their shortcomings, their their feelings when they were on set and you know during the production and after. And I think it's a really unique story about something that a lot of people say, well, this film is misunderstood, but most films do have a, a pretty large audience that, that love it, that have embraced it. I think Silent Night 2 has more, it is more of a traditional cult film in that there aren't, it isn't a huge audience beloved film. I think it's love for a lot of reasons and a lot of those reasons aren't, I mean, I think the meme has a lot to do with it. Right. I I think, but when you hear these stories and you get to know Eric and Lee, especially by the time it's done, and that's my goal with this documentary is like, I want people to see this movie in a new light and I want them to consider it for more than what they have been told it is over time or that our general conversation in social media has become about it, if that makes sense. So all of that is what drew me into it and why I got involved. I don't want to compare it to another film and have that be a negative uh, comparison, but you know, I'm, I'm friends with Michael Paul Stevenson and he made a documentary best worst movie about yeah. another film that was shot in Utah yeah. troll two. And through the course of that documentary, you gain this extreme appreciation for something that previously had only be, been seen as a so bad. It's good movie. Right. And because of the documentary, you gain these additional insights into how much everyone there was trying to do their best. And, and it creates an empathy that, it kind of informs your viewing experiences after that. Right. And I've heard that about your documentary already, just from a few friends who have gotten this disc that, um, people have told me it's worth buying just for the documentary, first of all. And other people have said that, no, it's, it changes your perspective on the film. The troll two thing, I think is a great line to draw. Frankly, I think that they're part of the same club in terms of why they've been embraced by the, a lot of the audience who knows them. So, there's the meme people who know the meme. Then there's the people who know it for what they consider to be over-the-top elements. And then there's the people who are the 
staunch defenders who were who I run into who are like, oh man, but this is my favorite movie. My wife hates it and, I, and she can't stand the sound of Eric's <laughs> voice. So I have to watch it when she's not home. And she's so sick of me trying to get everyone to watch it when they come over to play cards or whatever it might be. So it, it has a number of different audiences with that. But I think that similar to Troll 2, the fan base is so passionate. The Finding Freeman movement, um, are you guys aware of the Finding Freeman movement? No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. There was this, and, and I, I wasn't clued into this either until I started working on this disc, but Eric Freeman disappeared after Silent Night 2. He really didn't do much after that. He had done some soap work before and a couple, I think, bit movie things, but really this was it for him. And then when I say he left the scene, I mean, he disappeared for from Hollywood, from everywhere. And eventually, once the internet became what it was a group of people started to try to track him down they're like man we just love silent night too and would love to know if he's okay and meet him and he would be great at conventions and all this so this group of diehard fans started searching high and low and all all around the country i guess to try to track this guy down and it became this movement called finding freeman <laughs> and and uh, eventually it did unearth him in a way and he showed up at a screening unannounced in Los Angeles. <laughs> and this is part of the interesting thing about Eric's story is that he had no idea about the fan base for this film or its notoriety or the meme. He didn't know any, about any of it because he was just completely unplugged and he was you know, doing cabinetry and stuff he, out east. He wasn't even engaged in cinema and nothing. And his friends eventually started to hear about this and, hey man, I think this is a thing. And then he discovered the Finding Freeman bit. And during that, there was a guy who started working on a documentary called Finding Freeman that's about the movement and about Eric and his story because he, he met Eric through that movement. And he started doing this thing. Well, when I met Eric, he's like, hey, there was a guy a few years ago working on this documentary. I don't know what happened to that footage, but he sort of stopped making it at some point. Maybe you want to reach out to him. So I reached out to this guy, Scott. And I'm like, hey, what's the story? And he's like, told me the whole deal. And he's like, I had to walk away from it at the time for personal reasons and it's just been kind of sitting in the background. And Scott's now like a big time producer on television. He does a lot of stuff dating back to ghost hunters and things like that. Like this guy's been in the business forever, but this was his passion project that kind of fell mm. off the rails. Yeah. So anyway, long story long, he ends up, we're talking about this thing <laughs> and he's like, when one night we had this marathon, like three hour conversation about all kinds of things, film and he's like, I need to get this thing. This has invigorated me to make this movie again, to get this thing going. And I'm like, well, let's get it out in front of people. And then you have, let's, let's do something. And he's like, well, we kind of have a trailer that I could probably have assembled. And I'm like, let's do it. Let's put it on the disc. And so the movie's not made yet. It's, it's being shot. There's already a lot of footage in the can, I know, for it. And he's in the process of relaunching the initiative with the whole thing. But if you pick up the Blu-ray you'll find a trailer on there, a little hidden gem for Finding Freeman, which is a teaser about this movie that's going to be about Eric Freeman. So all that is just to say that that there has been this whole group of people treasuring this film for a real long time, which is amazing considering how many movies have landed on deluxe Blu-ray release that no one's ever heard of. Meanwhile, there's this thing that people have been pining for for decades, and now we find... (laughs) And, and like Lee says in the documentary, he's about the middle of it. He's like, I started or toward the end, he talks about the reviews for the film. And he said, everyone's just laying into me about this 
footage, the use of so much of the first film. And I've never had a chance, I've never had a chance to tell my story until now. And I'm so happy that I finally do. And so like that right there made the whole thing worthwhile for me. I love that angle, what you're talking about, Justin, just generally speaking about um, when you learn more about the the earnestness and, and the the pursuit of the artists who are working on a film, it helps you appreciate it on a deeper level. And I know that like, you know, just going to the, the weekly new release and then, you know, giving your, uh, giving a film critics take on it. Um, you know, sometimes it's just a knee jerk reaction. It's pretty surface, but the more you learn about what, what was going on behind the scenes and what was in, you know, the work that went into it, then the deeper the appreciation. And so I, I always admire stories like that. It reminded me a lot of, you know, Christmas Evil. It was a very similar in that way because um, Lewis Jackson was just, I mean, he was pretty passionate. My understanding is he was pretty passionate about that. I mean, they had storyboards and everything for every single shot in the scene. And I know that's not uncommon, but I'm just saying that I think a lot of people are dismissive of films sometimes myself included just thinking oh somebody just threw this together this is just you know whatever it is and but when you learn more about it you're like wow there's some heart that went into this yeah i think that there is the common there's a misconception about movies that they're just easy to make Mm -hmm. and that they're and that but really what it is is it's when you're taking on a project like that especially as a director you're you're at the front of a symphony and you have to understand an oboe as well as you understand a uh, bassoon mm-hmm. or the timpani. And that's not to say every filmmaker does. And, and Lee's very open about that in this one that he, he admits when I got on set, he said, I came in as an editor. So I, and, and he, he, same thing with the storyboards. In fact, he, and he, they went to locations. Not only did they do drawn storyboards or hired a guy to do some, they also went and did photograph storyboards, all of which he handed me and all a bunch of which are included in the documentary that you can see. Wow. So they went and visited the actual locations in advance to get, and you, and I, and I do an AB comparison on several of these shots as you're watching it. And it's amazing how close they were in the end. So he was a, he had a fine tuned eye for this when he got to set, he knew exactly what he was headed in to do and, and what he wanted to come out the other end of it with. And so he admits, though, I, that he walked in as an editor thinking about the visual side of things and thinking about the composition and how it's going to cut together. And he's very open about the fact that he didn't know what the hell to do with actors. He's, I, 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 and he, with his whole crew, in fact, he says, I, hadn't, I didn't understand what it would mean to be the one on set where all of a sudden 23 people turn and look at you and go, what now boss? <laughs> and he said, I wasn't prepared for that. I, I know I wasn't prepared for it. And then Eric and everyone else, they're, they're kind about Lee. They all say he's a really nice guy, but Eric tells some, at least one story in there about trying to talk to Lee at one point during the production. And it just, you know, conversation with the actors wasn't really part of the gig. So it's an interesting thing. And I think that we all want to connect with, with we spent so many t- years with these movies we we have our own very personal connection with them and in a way it's kind of poetic that silent night 2 has been underexplored until now because we're the generation that grew up with it 
who are now in control of all these distribution companies and whatnot. So we're the ones getting this stuff re-released and pouring this love on it at a time when we can actually appreciate it. And so it it's neat to have something underexplored in a world of 400 versions of Evil Dead that have been released and <laughs> the 33rd new transfer of Halloween and whatever else it might be. It's kind of cool, albeit <laughs> right. uh, on, a, on, a, on a, a smaller scale, but still to have something that, that you love that you can actually learn a lot of new information about in the year 2018. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. Well, Justin, thanks so much for joining us on our Christmas episode this year. Um, for anyone who didn't hear, Justin was also on our Halloween day release when we talked about, you know, the latest Halloween 2018 film. Um, go back and give that a listen. If you haven't, Justin was incredible on that episode as well, but man, we really want to thank you for dropping in and, Telling us some of the tales behind this new Scream Factory disc. Tell people where they can get this one. One of the things we did last year with part one was we teamed up with NECA for an exclusive Billy figure. Well, it was exclusive then. The Billy figure to mm-hmm. accompany a special edition. <laughs> and it there was this whole debacle with NECA and they re-released the figure later and anyway, but part two, it's legit exclusive. There is a Ricky figure that you can get, a package that includes. So it's like a Barbie doll size Ricky that matches your Billy from last year in great packaging <laughs> comes with a poster and the slip sleeve reversible art and all that. Or you can just go Amazon, which is just a standard release for you through there. So just about anywhere you can order Blu-rays and DVDs, you can track it down. And it's that uh, it's really cool cover art that you did. It's um, it will, it matches the part one cover. art. we did a giveaway on our Christmas show last year of the fright rags t-shirt from part yeah. one. Yeah. And um, we're probably going to be doing a giveaway, actually, of the Fright Rags t-shirt from part two. Uh, yeah, yeah. Joel Robinson year. knocked it out of the park with both covers. I think it was just perfect on both fronts. Awesome. Okay, thanks, Justin. Where can people find you online? I'm back on social media. I'm on, if you look me up on Twitter or Facebook or justinbeam.com. And I have also am relaunching my podcast. Or if you look up Justin Beam Radio Hour podcast. Started with that back in 2016, got derailed by a car accident and and back on it again. So that's out now as well. And that's on Stitcher and everywhere else. So yeah, a number of different places. And I appreciate your support, guys. Always means the world. All right. And at this point in episode 164 of Horror Movie Podcast, let's move into... Uh, a bunch of little mini reviews of some 2018 Christmas horror flicks, starting with Sick for Toys. All right. Sick for Toys is a 2018, as Jay just said, 2018 horror movie. Um, it was uh, directed by David Del Rio. It's about this girl, Amelia, played by Camille Montgomery. Uh, she lives with her brother, Edward. And it's just the two of them. And apparently it's been just the two of them since uh, Amelia was very young, maybe um, a preteen. Um, you know, her brother's considerably older than, than she is. There's a talk of an uncle who was a bit of, you know, you get the idea he was a bit abusive, but then he was out of the picture. Anyway, Amelia loves Christmas. She loves to decorate. She loves the music. And she loves getting presents. You know, she still has this sort of... Um, Arrested development. Uh, she, she's very childlike in, in, in certain ways. 
and the toys, Edward always goes out and gets them for her. It is a guy that she happens to fancy becomes her toy. Edward uh, has be- uh, <laughs> dabbles in medicines and drugs and keeps this guy uh, drugged to the point that, um, you know, he can't really move uh, while Amelia has fun with him, has her way with him. The, their newest is um, wow. a guy named Jason, um, Justin Xavier. And we also are following um, Roy, who's a friend of Jason's, who's trying to, you know, uh, find out what happened to Jason. He's disappeared for a couple of days while at the same time trying to hook up with Jason's girlfriend, trying yeah. to convince his girlfriend, Melanie, that Jason's no good for her because Roy sort of has a thing for her. Well, along the way, uh, Roy f- happens to find, uh, you know, uh, Amelia's phone number going through Jason's apartment and gives her a call. You get the feeling that Roy's a very lonely guy as well. And he um, hooks up with Amelia now, not knowing that, that Jason is already being held captive in their garage uh, right. by this brother's sister. So that's the premise. We'll take it from there. Uh, I, there are things about this movie that I did like. I did like um, uh, Camille Montgomery's performance as Amelia. I thought she was very good. I thought it was an interesting idea that you just have this girl who's who's so into Christmas and and to getting toys, and she considers these guys her toys, um, and Edward treats them as such. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story takes a very unexpected turn at about the halfway point for me. Anyway, I just was not expecting you know what happened to happen. Right. Uh, and then goes yeah. off in another direction. But I mean, that said, there are, I don't know how to put it. I mean, the ending of the movie was, it was for me a big letdown. Um, you know, mm. where, where it eventually went in the, in the last act, once everything plays out, I thought it was, I thought it was a letdown. I thought characters were making stupid decisions, but even just where it went at the end, I thought that I don't want to get into too many spoilers, but there were enough clues for people to figure out what really happened. I don't know why they went off on the tangent that they did. It didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Uh, And I thought that 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 sort of hurt the movie, you know, right right at the end there. Um, But again, if we're comparing it to the class of 2018, um, this is for me more toward the top than it is toward the bottom. Yeah, I agree. I don't think this, you know, Dave, in our inter- interactions this week, you said it isn't a classic. You said that a couple times. And yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. this is not the top of my Christmas horror movie watching, um, but it's decent and it's better than a lot of the dregs that we see out there year after year. And particularly right. this year in the year of, you know, the Amazon Prime factor, I feel like. You know there are some some real stinkers out there. This one is watchable, and it's it's an interesting concept, interesting characters. I think Roy is an interesting protagonist because he's not particularly likable. It's right. funny you look at the IMDb premise and it says uh, Roy is the nice guy who finishes last. Well, he's not that nice a guy, as they've right. already alluded to. <laughs> he's trying to hook up with his buddy's girlfriend and throw his buddy under the bus and. Even when looking for his friend, he pretty quickly takes the opportunity to try to steal yet another girl uh, out from his buddy's grasp. Right, so right. He's, he's, he's not a great friend anyway. Um, but yeah, I think 
in terms i don't know would you would you classify this in the torture genre uh it's it's darn near that you know it's almost like the loved ones but not quite as yes. as um it doesn't quite go as far as the loved ones does but i would that's put it the in that one film yeah that's yeah. the one film i thought of when watching this was oh this kind of reminds me of loved ones yeah yes that and that's where i think that if you like the loved ones this is a a watered down version of the loved ones i would say or yeah and and you know and it it's got some strong elements as well oh, yeah think, yeah you know, i don't mean not- performances yeah, I don't mean like a like I'm not saying this is like PG compared to that R, but it's you know it doesn't go quite as far as the loved ones did, but there are some there are some interesting things yeah. about it. The lo- the loved ones goes pretty extreme. I would say this yes. is more rooted in reality. Okay. Um, and well, I mean not super realistic or anything. But, no, but you're right. You know, you're more right. Than the loved one. Yeah. yeah. Situation, and I think there are some good performances here. And it's worth watching for it's like it has that indie horror vibe of it's shot on video. It's overly color corrected, but they've got a good cast. <laughs> they've got a good premise and uh, it's a fun. It's fun. Yep. yep. All right. I'm, I mean, for rating wise, I would probably give this one a six out of 10 and say rent it or stream it. Yeah, I mean, this is a really inexpensive rental at 99 cents on Amazon Prime. Right. And so it's a pretty easy rental recommendation. I I would give this one a 5 out of 10. And on the Christmas scale, I would give it a 7. So that at least is a very enjoyable Christmassy experience. Mm -hmm. And say it's a low priority rental. Okay. Okay. And that's called Sick for Toys from 2018. All right, guys, here, here's what I got for you. So um, at Redbox, I noticed that they had a film called Elves from 2018. And um, Josh pointed out to me that, that, you know, it's probably the a sequel of some sort to The Elf from 2017, which I did not see. Have you guys seen The Elf from 2017? No. No, I had kind of set it aside for an elf themed episode in the future we we did if you remember last year we did like a little listeners poll which film they wanted us to review along with better watch out and our listeners selected once upon a time at christmas so we ended up watching that instead of the elf oh okay well uh, i've heard all bad things about it (laughs) right right (laughs) Right, the the thing is so yeah with the elf i haven't seen it either but from my research i i think you're right Josh, because ultimately looking at the pictures, like one of the elves that appear in this 2018 film, um, you can see that same image. But um, a Southern horror fan on IMDb said (laughs) in his review, he said, the story plays on the concept set forth in 2017's The Elf, only in the weakest of manner, choosing instead to move in more creative avenues. Elves throws in demonic possession and mysterious masked slasher so it almost sounds like i mean you could argue that this is a sequel and i'm I'm sure it probably is but they don't seem to own one another is one thing and the the other thing that i want to just say is it's almost like a reboot or a revamped version of the elf or something it's like a new attempt so i just wanted to put that out there and and no this is not elves 
from 1989. That's a different film as well. It was directed by Jamal Burden, and it's his debut feature film. And out of the 55 IMDb ratings so far on Elves, it has a 2.6 rating out of 10. And the premise is, when a group of friends discover ancient elves locked in a cursed chest, they unknowingly unleash their wrath on the world. And um, so, let me just, a couple little random notes I just want to give you a heads up on. So this is really low budget, you can tell. I mean, it kind of looks like a group of friends who are making a horror flick in, you know, Southern California or something. It, it, it looks like, you know, I mean, I know there's not a ton of snow in Southern California, right, at Christmas time. And they have a few Christmas decorations, but anyways, um, this is the kind of movie where a character will be by herself and she'll read text messages aloud so you can, you know, know what's happening. The dialogue is like, I was tripping balls or she looked all elfy, <laughs> like, like stuff like that. Um, wow. This movie... <laughs> Uh, actually, I, I will give it a, a little bit of props for one thing. Do you remember when we watched Happy Death Day? And that film... Rings a bell, yeah. Yes. I, I remember that. <laughs> that film wisely acknowledged at the end. It, get, it, it said out loud explicitly that it was, you know, a lot like Groundhog Day. Because that's what everybody was going to say anyway. So they just put it out there. It's like the Eminem rap battle tactic. Um, well... <laughs> same thing here uh i mean this movie is very similar to like truth or dare and then um except you know they do like the snapchat filters on the face to make them look all elfy and and then also um a little bit of it follows where you can kind of pass it along you know and and so they, they actually call out those two movies in this um one thing i will give it credit for it the carrots the characters show a proper amount of skepticism when they're dying from elves and and by the way just so people know the elves are not if you're picturing like puppet master that's really not quite how it works but there are like these elf dolls to be honest i don't really understand what's what goes on in this film and i did watch it i watched the entire thing <laughs> Uh, I will say I do feel like it was made by genuine horror fans because some of the kills actually go pretty far. Like just to give one, one example, this dude uh, stabs himself in the eyeball and then, you know, to finish the job, he headbutts that, that, that pin, like he stabs himself with a pin and then he headbutts like a pole to push it back into his brain and, um, you know, pretty gruesome. It's only 80 minutes long, but it feels about three hours long. And uh, probably my biggest criticism is, you know, people are just in random places. You know, it cuts to the next scene and there's no context for where they are or why they're there, both both physically in the location or also within the story. So that's just one little, you know, film criticism tip, you know, in, in storytelling. I'm just saying it helps have some sort of context or purpose like i imagine that they're in these different locations just because they felt like hey this will be a good looking location let's shoot here but you know if there's no context it's it's hard to understand but um 
I, I will also give it credit for the sound design. I actually think the sound design's pretty decent. So I, I, wrote, I wrote down the dude's name so I could like I specifically give a shout out. That's Julian Beeston, not too shabby. So I just want to say that. It's, it's also a slasher film, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, they got a, a character called the Holiday Reaper. It's a person in a mask. And um, and then there are weird kills. Like there's one scene where uh, someone is beat to death with an artificial Christmas tree. And, and I wasn't 100% sure whether it was supposed to be funny. Because it was kind of funny, but kind of not funny. <laughs> so anyway, that's Elves from 2018. Oh. Uh, for me, this is a three out of ten. I say avoid this, and um, honestly, it didn't make me want to watch The Elf from 2017. So, anyway, you are you guys are you guys in for this or what? Oh <laughs> uh, no, okay. no, probably not because we we still have a few of our own coming up. Okay, all right, good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, uh, eventually, I want to do an elf episode. We might have to wait for a really good elf movie, but uh, mm-hmm. well, there's there one. Are, there are a few of them. So uh, there's one with Will Ferrell that's quite good. But yeah, <laughs> Christmas horror. Right, right, right. right, right. Uh, all right. So let's move into sleigh bells. Right. Well, I just want to mention Dave and I have very different um, relationships to this film because. I got a press screener for this one and Dave, it turns out is an investor on this one. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> take it away, Dave. All right. Sleigh bells. I have been actually living with this movie. I'm going to do a quick search of my email here. Uh, I want to say since 2015 was okay. when I uh, actually put some money into this movie. Uh, yeah. Yes, it was. It was in June of, tw- of 2015. Uh, when I uh, went to Indiegogo and I made a deposit for the Sleigh Bells movie, and I guess whatever deposit I made got me a Blu-ray copy, as well as my name in the credits. I'm on the uh, the nice list at yep. the end, Ooh. Um, along uh, along with uh, with uh, Hadden, Haddonfield Hatchet, yeah, Sean Davis, and I would get updates every. Uh, it looks like every. Six months, there was a part there where it went from December of 2016 to December of 2017 before I got an update. Um, but uh, then uh, this movie showed up at my door about a week or so ago on Blu-ray. It finally happened. Spooky Dan was the writer-director of this one. It is, I mean, when you look at the poster, okay, it's it's about these three girls. Two of them run this this web series called Adventure Girls where they go out and they do go to these abandoned areas and they, they have these uh, adventures. They try to, I guess they try to make these areas seem really interesting. It's like an um, urban exploration YouTube right, channel. Basically. Right. is what it is. And they bring along a friend of theirs uh, and they're all very attractive and they're all dressed very provocatively. And they go to a place called, uh, is it Santa town? I can't remember exactly what the name Something is. Something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. And the characters very early on their entrance to Santa Town say, oh, I really thought this was going to be a lot more Christmassy than it looks. And I thought, right, yeah, right. That would have been nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but while there, they come across uh, two individuals. One is the actual Santa Claus, initially dressed like a, a biker, played by Barry Bostwick. Um, and they also find uh, Santa's nemesis, Krampus. 
uh, who's loose. And I got to say, I really did like the look of Krampus uh, mm-hmm. in this. I, I thought that was uh, handled really well. Yeah, definitely a beastly freak. Absolutely. Nice. Uh, the way he's the way he uh, the way he acts in this movie. Um, you know, definitely one of its strengths. Um, so you have these three women, and their names are Alexi, Dahlia, and Sadie. Uh, teaming up with Santa Claus to try to take out Krampus. Um, and like I said, I like the Krampus. I did actually like, there's a little segment in there where Santa Claus gives sort of a backstory of Santa town and why he created this. Mm-hmm. Um, and about Krampus, about how Krampus sort of dropped out of um, the limelight in the 1940s when, uh, I, I can't remember exactly how he put it, when it was no longer uh, in fashion to teach kids uh, or to try to scare morality into children. Um, (laughs) And I kind of like that segment as well. But I mean, this is a movie where if you look at the poster, you pretty much know what you're going to get. All right. You're going to get these three girls running around with Santa Claus. And there is a, um, a ranger, a park ranger who ends up joining them uh, as well. Sean uh, played by Stephen Ford uh, joins the mix. Um, and the whole idea is Santa's like, we've got to get Krampus under control because if he gets loose, he'll, he's going to destroy the world sort of. So, you know, um, yeah. and there's an interesting thing about how Santa and Krampus are tied together where, you know, if, if you do something to Krampus, Santa some, feels the pain a little bit. Um, <laughs> thought that was a little bit interesting as well. But uh, again, this is, this is like, this is, this is a modern exploitation style horror comedy is what it is um and you you know what you're going to get uh you look at the poster and you know exactly the kind of movie it's going to be mm-hmm. yeah i will say i thought it was fun seeing barry bostwick i hadn't seen him in anything for a while i really actually yeah. like him as an actor he's a very likable person mm-hmm. um it was fun seeing christina Klebe, who i'm a major fan of and she is kind of like a modern scream queen and it was fun also to see diane salinger who's kind of a uh, you know maybe a scream queen from the previous era and so it was fun seeing them both right in this film together yeah Yeah, it is you can really feel the budget on this movie and and it's pretty silly as well Mm -hmm. um i'm trying to think of something to compare it to it's kind of like santa's sleigh but on a much lower budget (laughs) Right. I, that's probably Whoa. a good comparison. That's a good comparison. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I think one disappointment I had with it is that Spooky Dan, he is, his day job is in digital effects. He works in visual effects. He's the visual effects designer on a bunch of movies. He, he mostly does, it looks like, rotoscoping and compositing. But still, like his entire background is in that. He's worked on like everything from Cursed to the Resident Evil movies to the Final Destination movies to Die Hard, you know, more recent Die Hard, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess I was expecting the visual effects to be a little bit more impressive in this movie. I would say that they were definitely a low point for me. Mm-hmm. So okay. that was my biggest complaint, probably. Yeah, it's a little little cheesy too but it's intending to be cheesy so. right right that um, was it, it's where it's like putting it right out there uh yeah. oh and it you also see um 
Uh, Richard Mall, uh, Bull from Night Court. No shows way. Up yeah, as a, he has a brief a appearance as well. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And this film was uh, eventually released by Dread Presents, which is Dread Central's uh, new film label, mm-hmm. which I'm actually really excited about. I'm glad that they're getting into the movie distribution business, and I'm glad that they are taking films like this that you know could have otherwise fallen through the cracks, and they're giving them more eyes through the Dread Central right platform so i think that's great and um yeah mostly i just like seeing christina Klebe in a film so. <laughs> right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah okay. definitely i mean i if i were to say uh ratings wise i'd probably come in right at the mid-range for me i'd say five out of ten because it did deliver what i was expecting it to deliver yeah um and then a, a couple little bonuses in there but it's a rental uh, but I do say to people, check out the poster and look at it. And if it seems like something that might interest you in a horror comedy, then yeah, it's it's worth a rental. But uh, I know there are people out there who are going to look and just say, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's has the feel of a full moon production, I would say. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's not, um, it actually is a little more silly. Like it's on the sillier end of their films. Like right. they have some films that, take themselves very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and this isn't as silly as a trauma and it's a higher production quality than a tra- uh, So you said right. it was higher production quality than trauma. Is that what you said, Josh? I, th- I would say so, wouldn't you, Dave? Okay. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. So for me, I mean, I'm going to come in pretty low numerically. Uh, I would give this probably a 4.5, but I do think it's watchable and kind of fun. And it's it's pretty easy to watch as well and on the christmas scale i would give it a five out of ten and so i would recommend people as a low priority rental people check it out okay Throw it in your queue <laughs> right that's called sleigh bells from 2018 okay that sounds good and then well, we got another one josh called christmas presents what's that about so christmas presents is a really weird movie like it's super polarizing for me <laughs> as as a viewing experience because it takes a long time to get where it's going and it is very much just a drama for the first half probably and just also but not a very good drama like characters i'm not super interested in or invested in and so i was just like man this is kind of a miserable experience for me and then the last you know 20 to 30 minutes go insane like it's a really wild nightmarish horror scenario that that kicks in at the end of the movie and so I don't know. It's had a very polarizing response to it. First half as compared to second half. Basically you've got a friend's Christmas getaway and they all go to like a mansion in the English countryside. And that's two couples and then two single friends. And they're all there just to kind of spend a day or two together for the holiday and they, you know, bicker and 
tease each other and they have uh, I think one of them is an underwear designer. And so he decides he's going to give a gift of underwear to each of the other people and they can each try it on. And he's going to do like a photo shoot fashion show while they play pool. So that's like that kind of a vibe for the first half of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, just miserable for me, basically. <laughs> but then the scares are pretty scary and some of the effects are really well done and there's some jarring moments in the second half of this film there's one there basically you know this place is haunted by some evil and the evil presents itself in different ways and some of them you could call silly but some are truly terrifying and the characters experience it in different ways and some of the characters you say, oh, they're just hallucinating because they're actually seen like, uh, I, you know, everyone else might see Jason standing over in the corner and I look over and Jason looks like a giant spider monster or whatever. Mm, okay. So, but, but most of them aren't that way. Like you'll, you'll be interacting with, we had an experience with this recently in this year, talking about the witch in the window. You'll have an experience where you think you're talking to a, someone friendly and it turns out that the evil has taken the shape of someone close to you. And so uh, for me, that's like one of my favorite horror modes. That's what I find so scary about vampire movies is that you don't know who the threat is. It's what I love about body snatcher movies. Mm-hmm. Now, this one's paranormal, but it's playing on that same fear of you think you're with someone friendly. And then they, you find out not only are they unfriendly, but they've taken advantage of your openness because you thought this was someone friendly and it's just a freaky position to find yourself in. And so, um, and just, yeah, there's some imagery here that's totally shocking and just like really creative and interesting, but then it, it's paired with this other half of the movie. That's just like, Oh, these people are just so annoying to be around from my (laughs) taste. So it's just really weird. It's just a really weird experience. Also, I have to say this, the color correction here is nauseating. Like inside it's normal, but every time they step outside, this is a case of they clearly must have shot this in the summer. And then they clearly did like a find and replace and took all the green and turned it like gray or white. And so it's like, you know, those photographs where <laughs> like they're really like gross photos of like, little kids with umbrellas and flowers, like kissing each other in adult clothes. You know what I'm talking about? Right. Yes. Those super cheesy, like Hallmark posters or whatever. Mm -hmm. The whole movie, every time they go outside has that look where it's totally desaturated around them because they're trying to get rid of all the green, but then the characters are trying to be normally saturated is really jarring. Like to look at as color correction, like, and just really off-putting to me. I know that's a very nitpicky thing, but it's, you know, a good 10 minutes of the movie looks like that, you know, so. Wow. And all throughout the movie, like beginning, middle, end. So it is just kind of annoying. Well, well, we have a filmmaker who listens to the show, um, Mac Robbins, who's a filmmaker, and uh, he's told me before color correction is very important to him, and so he's going to appreciate that you made that comment, Josh, and that you... It, color correction is so much of what makes an image, and it's uh, really <laughs> frustrating in this instance. But hmm. anyway, um, so again, I'm very split on my viewing experience here. 
if you can make it through the first half, and some people might like these characters, right. you know, it's one of those movies where the horror kicks in gradually. So like 20 minutes in, there's a tiny bit of a scare. 40 minutes in, there's another tiny bit of a scare. And 60 minutes in, it really gets going, which would be fine if it if what happened was to me as interesting as the haunting of Hill house, but when it's grading, then it's just kind of like, Ugh, I don't know if it was worth it. But again, the end is like high level. One of the top 10 nightmare horror sequences of the year. So wow, it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to parse for me overall, just as a viewing experience, I probably can't give it higher than a 4.5 just because my overall experience was negative on the Christmassy scale. It's in kind of the five to six range, but I will call it a low priority rental. It is streaming on shutter. So that would be a good excuse to cue it, I suppose. Okay. So 4.5 low priority rental and it's called Christmas presents. And that's presence as in spelled like the state of existing, like P R E S E N C E. Yeah, like they're- there might be a supernatural presence. Right, right. And it has an AKA title of Why Hide, right? Interesting. Okay. All right. Now let's uh, hear about Mrs. Claus. I'm so intrigued by this. All right. Mrs. Claus. Let me do this before we get started here. So- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mrs. Claus, 2018. Uh, just to set it up, uh, we open at a sorority, and uh, it's the initiation, so there's a sort of a hazing ritual going on. The the, uh, the lead girl of the sorority um, is, is putting this uh, new recruit through these terrible situations, you know, giving her these tasks to complete, and they're pretty gross, and they're pretty, pretty disturbing, but then the girl makes it, and she's in the sorority, uh, but then... This girl, you could, the, the lead girl just sort of continues to berate this other girl. Uh, and even at the Christmas party where they exchange gifts, uh, she again humiliates her, uh, leading this girl to murder the head of the, uh, of the sorority and then take her own life. So then we flash forward 10 years later, the younger sister of the murdered sorority sister mm-hmm. uh, joins the sorority. The same sorority, almost as a tribute to her sister, but her family has been, I guess, harassed by the mother of the student who committed the murder uh, and then took her own life <laughs> for sa- saying it was the the bullying, the uh, the hazing that had driven her her good daughter to do this. But at the same time, you know, the, you have that going on. There is these cryptic messages being sent to the various sorority sisters saying it's been 10 years and I'm out to get you again, signed Mrs. Claus or coming from an email account from Mrs. Claus. And of course things start to get rather messy as the girls are uh, wiped out uh, one at a time. Brink Stevens, one of those eighties scream Queens, you know, always with um, uh, Linnea Quigley and Michelle Bauer Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of those late '80s videos, Nightmare Sisters and things like that, and oh, and Brink Stevens is also in um, the original Slumber Party Massacre. She plays a small role in this as a rent a cop um, on the you know the college campus. So it's interesting to see her you know show up in this in this uh, in a small role in this film. Also, some of the kill scenes are, are you know bloody 
and even a little disturbing the way that they're presented. And that's about it. I mean, this this was not a good film. Uh, right in the opening scene, I was telling you about the the uh, the hazing ritual, where you had these three sisters standing over this this one girl who was trying to pledge the uh, sorority. They're making her do something in in the in the bathroom, and it's just gross. Well, the lead girl looked like she could have been forty five years old. None of these girls <laughs> looked like they were young enough to be in college. They looked like they could have daughters that were in college, all of them. Mm. So that takes you out right there. Then, of course, it presents a different, you know, different characters. You learn, you meet the sorority sisters. Um, once it flashes forward 10 years later, none of them are particularly interesting. There's a party being thrown by one of the sort of more naive girls, uh, even though everybody's leaving and, the, you know, hardly anyone's going to be at the party. She's throwing a Christmas party. Most people have gone home for the holidays, but she's going to do it anyway. And they have this party and it's just about the worst party you could imagine. <laughs> There's a scene where two characters who have, um, you know, showed up at this party, uh, letting it known that they like their drugs and their drink. They go off by themselves and they have this whole conversation. You could tell it was ad libbed where they talk about the, the elves at Santa's workshop taking breaks to smoke some pot. And, you know, the idea of ad-libbing is to make it sort of sound more natural. It is just about the worst exchange I've seen in one of these sort of movies. It just, I'm sitting there going, it's cringeworthy. These two trying to ad-lib, um, the, you know, the, you could tell they had nowhere to go with it. It was just awful. And even the main set, you know, okay, it's a sorority house, but this looks like it was somebody's house. There's nothing about it other than putting three Greek letters on the wall that scream that this was a sorority. Um, <laughs> so the, even the set take, takes you right out of it. Um, they try to do, they try to throw some mystery into the killer. The killer wears a mask that didn't look to me to be Mrs. Claus. It wasn't a Mrs. Claus mask as far as I was concerned. <laughs> But they called it Mrs. Claus, or the, the, I guess because of the Whoa. title of the movie, we're supposed to assume it's Mrs. Claus. Wait a second. What? Dave, sorry to interrupt you. So question, I'm dying here. The poster is freaky. So you're saying that this, this slasher killer does not look like the poster. Let me see. Let me look at the poster. I haven't even looked at the poster. <laughs> yeah, the poster art on IMDb looks really freaky, actually. Oh, okay. That is freaky. Think of that as a mask with no emotion whatsoever in it that just sort of hangs on the face of the killer. And that's what you get. The, the killer looks nothing like like this poster. Okay. I guess they tried to make it look, but it looks almost like somebody crumpled up a Michael Myers mask and put it on this uh, put it on this killer. Okay. Is what it looks like. No, it did the, if it looked like the poster, it would be a lot better. No, as a matter of fact, if you know, buy the poster and leave the movie, uh, uh, you know, forget about the movie. Um, so what was it? It looks like it says here hmm. stirring. Is that the is that another name? Yeah, for that's it? the original title, I guess. Original title. Well, that's just as bad as Mrs. Claus. And the tagline. I'm wondering if they changed that due to all the creatures were stirring coming out. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, and this Mrs. Claus um, is a cool idea for. In a Christmas horror movie, it just sounds yeah. like it did not 
no, deliver no, in be- any way be- because, on... Because they don't even really sell that. They don't even really pr- sell the whole Mrs. Claus angle, other than Ooh. this cryptic email written in a font. Looks like it was about, it's about a 30-point font in this email, of just a, <laughs> a stupid little rhyme that uh, that's sent to the uh, to the younger sister of the girl from the opening scene who's who's becomes the main character of the film and everything about it's very heavy-handed it's very obvious it's just and and it really is uh, you see you see the budget in this you see the budget big time in this movie with the set i mean you know i i understand that a sorority house is a house but there was nothing about it that screamed. I mean, you think of your own living room and you throw three Greek letters on the wall and that could have been the set for this movie. (laughs) So this is a three out of 10. It is definitely an avoid. I don't bother wasting your time with Mrs. Claus. Right. Well, well, yeah, Dave saved me on this because, and I had already rented it. So he didn't save me my money. (laughs) <laughs> but he did save me my time, and I'm thankful for that because I ended up watching Sick for Toys instead of this. <laughs> right. And I enjoyed Sick for Toys. So uh, of the two, Sick for Toys is definitely the better made, uh, right. better made film, no doubt about it. Well, nice. two quick comments about Mrs. Claus. Um, I, number one, if and uh, you probably can't reveal this because of spoilers and so forth, but assuming that Mrs. Claus, yeah, try me. <laughs> assuming that mrs claus is a female killer then it would be one of those rare instances of a female slasher killer which is cool to me so i'm just mm-hmm. just saying i won't I, I won't i won't spoil it okay that's good I, and, I hear what you're saying and and then i wonder um i wonder if she ever says eat papa <laughs> never says a blessed thing oh, okay. never says a blessed thing this character just shows up in that awful mask to kill um, okay. eat Papa. That would have been pretty cool. Actually, I would, I would have liked that. The, <laughs> eat Papa, eat. Right. No, never <laughs> says anything. Axe in the mouth. Yes. Yes. <laughs> never says anything like that. There is one kill in this that reminded me of that double, uh, I'm going to say double penetration. That's probably not the best way to put it from the one Friday, the 13th, you know, where the, the, uh, couple are sort of, uh, yeah. engaged and, uh, they get stabbed through the bed there. There's a scene in this movie that sort of reminded me of that. Again, the kill scenes are not terrible. They really aren't. I, the, the, that's probably one of the strengths of the film uh, is how they're handled. And they do use one of those uh, Christmas ornaments from the front lawn that you sort of like as a stake that you nail into the ground. And mm-hmm. those parts of it, I thought were interesting. It tries to build a mystery that is no mystery all right i've I've kind of railed on this enough i just a three out of ten and you know just avoid it yeah the last thing i'll say and i'll shut up about it too i promise i it's just i'm very intrigued by this um the mask almost reminds me a little bit of the the hag mask from curtains 1983 Um, that's what i was thinking about when dave said that does have that look to it but now it just didn't work the poster looks a hundred times better than uh, than what the killer's wearing in this, it, it looks more. It looks almost just like a, you know, like a, a skeleton with the skin dripping off of it, as opposed to a Mrs. Claus mask. There's right. nothing about it that screams Mrs. Claus to me. Gotcha. Okay. All 
All right. Well, thanks for covering that for us, Dave. And uh, now let's let's hear a little bit about uh, Jewel Blood or Christmas Blood, right? So Jewel Blood or Christmas Blood is a 2018 Christmas horror film directed by Reinhard Kiel. And it is a Norwegian film. You have a group of friends getting together for Christmas. So it's it, that seems to be a theme for this entire year. Yeah, um, definitely. It's instead of families, it's kind of this extended family of friends mm-hmm. um, in a lot of these movies. But um, they go to the small village in Norway, kind of spend some time at one of the friend's mother's house. And the mother's passed away. And they're going to go stay at her house for the holidays. I don't really get why they're traveling there. I don't know if I mentioned why precisely, but um, you have got some Norwegians, some Swedes, uh, an Australian, mostly women. Uh, there are a couple of guys that show up from time to time in the tale. But basically, in this small town, there was a mass killing um, that went on for. Was it 13 years that it went on? Uh, it went on for a while till he was captured. And yeah. then he spent about, mm-hmm. what, 10 years or something in jail. I don't remember the exact time frame. Now, um, 13 and 6, by the way. 13 and 6. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and then, and then he eventually escaped. Yeah. And so you um, have... <clears throat> it's interesting because... It's told out of sequence in terms of the order of events. And so you'll have these, they're flash. They are flashbacks, but they're not played as flashbacks. You know, it's almost just like um, put together non-linear, non-linearly to some degree. Right. Right. You're seeing um, during the, the time of crisis when the serial killer was on the loose. And then you're seeing these, this new group of young women who are there in the town and who have a personal connection to the killer as well one of them does at least and so it's pretty good i you know i really enjoyed the police procedural portion of this film i again the characters are not my favorite in terms of the kinds of conversations they're having and stuff it's just kind of grating i don't know it's not like super enjoyable on the drama end of the spectrum but i would say they're mostly likable and you know they're definitely people you don't want to see in harm's way for the most part and I think especially because of the bitter cold outside, that adds a lot to me, the kind of Norwegian landscape and the darkness, you know, this, they're in a part of the world where it doesn't get light during this time of year. And they don't play that up too much or it doesn't factor in a whole lot, but it, it does add to the creepiness factor that it's going to be nighttime for a very long time. Like it's not, it's not like the sun's going to come up tomorrow and everything's going to be okay. It's always going to be hard to see if someone's sneaking up behind you in the world of this movie. And I think that's one of the more effective elements of it. Neat. Yeah, I I'm I don't disagree with anything you said actually. Um especially the setting. I loved the setting and even though it, they don't they don't talk too much about the, the the constant darkness, you really do feel the cold. Like when some of these characters are out wandering around outside you can you just feel the chill in the air um for them um and uh i did like the setup as well and i like the idea of this this is like a a slasher this 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 guy's almost like a version of of a jason or a michael 
um, where you just can't seem to put him down no matter what you do. And he doesn't um, talk. You don't really see his face. He's just a guy in a Santa suit. Yeah, that's what. In the in a way, the trailer's misleading because in the trailer you get the idea that the guy lays everything out, um, but that's not the case in the actual movie. I will say the one thing that kind of threw me is they set up this idea of a list that this that this guy, this Santa Claus killer, had a list of naughty the naughty people that he was going to take out. And they, that's how the police were able to figure out who his next victims might be that were on this list. But they never really explained what these characters did to get on the list, nor does he really stick to this list. He <laughs> seems to eventually just kill indiscriminately. <laughs> and I thought that that I, I like that idea of a list, but I don't think they, they, they held with it. And that was probably my biggest problem with the movie. Is my that they never stayed that, with that. My sense of it was kind of like the old Michael Myers thing. Like he had he had a target, but also if you get in his way, you're also going out too. Well, that's that, and that's yeah, that's eventually what it was. Like this was not a guy who was just taking out bad people. This is a right. guy who's taking out bad people and anybody else who stood between him and the bad people. Yeah. So I don't understand. I don't even know that the list was necessary. I, I don't yeah. think that, that 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 just seemed like well, it seemed I, like yeah. an idea that they threw in there that that they didn't think out originally, and they just figured, no, we're just trying to do a slasher movie here, and we want this guy to be as menacing as possible. Yeah, I think it was you know supposed to tie into the Santa theme, obviously, but I also think it's kind of how the police procedural side of things are working. It's like, okay, like this guy has been in prison but these killings are happening and so what does this tell us and you know there's kind of like a bit of a mystery there and like, these so, people died while he was in custody so is it possible right. that he wasn't right. the killer and and then there's a throwback there's one scene in the middle there and they say it's like they all of a sudden say 2004 so it's a flashback scene with two cops uh who respond to a call and they find somebody dead and it turns out it's this this santa it's a strong scene. I liked it, mm-hmm. but I didn't see how it fit in with the rest of the story. I think it was just, it's almost like they said, wow, we got this really cool scene. It doesn't really fit in with anything. Let's make it a flashback. I don't know. It, there were mm-hmm. things about it. It just seemed a little bit too, a little too jumpy. And it started out great. That opening scene, I really liked. See, I didn't love the opening scene just because it was so dark. Like, the movie is well, so dark. I had it to keep moving. Really I was watching it on my computer, and I had to keep, like, moving my screen to see what was going on because, yeah, yeah you're right. It was very it was very dark. But it also was uh, ominous, and I liked what happened at the end of it with that policeman um, who eventually tracked this 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 guy down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what he did, I thought that was like, wow, that's like a strong way to kick this movie off mm-hmm. uh, and sort of set the story in motion. Uh, but you're yeah. right. This movie is very dark. It's it's very, very dark. The, and the mix of characters. And the we're girls, talking in terms of the lighting, like it's hard yes, to see. The lighting, the lighting, it is hard to see at times. Portions it, it, of the scene. Yeah. it definitely is. Um, and the girls that they brought together, you know, that, that group of friends that you were talking about, it was an interesting mix. There's even one who's a mute, you know, doesn't actually, doesn't actually mm-hmm. uh, say anything. Um, who's, who's one of the friends, but then they eventually, I thought there was a, maybe one or two, too many of them. They just kept introducing new ones. Oh, here's another one. Oh, here's another one. Oh, here's another one with her boyfriend. 
it seemed like there were a lot of them and I kind of lost track of who was who uh, a couple times mm-hmm. as a result because there were a few who sort of had a similar look and I wasn't sure who was who. Um, but again, uh, th- they weren't unlikable characters. You know, they, they, the, that, that group of friends, you didn't, you didn't dislike them. Yeah. It's intriguing. It sounds, yeah. It, sounds pretty and, and good. The setting, the setting is awesome. I thought I had such high hopes when I saw that this was, uh, a Norwegian film, Me too. um, you know, set in that darkness. I'm like, wow, this is really, that's a great setting. That really is a great setting. So how do you guys feel about it overall then rating wise? Where do you come in for Christmas blood on a Christmas level? I would give this a six. There are a lot of nice warm kind of Christmassy lights inside the girl's house. And then the outside is very blue and cold and snow and dark in Norway. Uh, as a film, I'm going to give it a six. I would like to give it higher, but literally so much of the beginning is hard to see. <laughs> I can't give it a whole lot higher. Mm. And I don't feel like ultimately it really came together in the way I would hope for, but I would call this a rental. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, what do you say, Dr. Shock? Uh, not quite as high. I'm going to go five out of 10 overall. Um, it does have its strengths. I like the opening scene. It is hard to see though. You're right, Josh. I mean, it, it was very difficult for me. I even paused it at one point and wiped off my computer screen thinking <laughs> maybe it was a little dusty and maybe that's why I couldn't say it. Uh, but it didn't help much. Um, <laughs> and I just never really, I just, the whole idea of that list for me just kind of irked me because it's like, okay, he went through the trouble of making this list, but then he was just going to kill everybody he came across anyway. Um, but it was not without its chilling moments, both with the uh, with with the setting and with uh, you know the the sort of uh, horror atmosphere. So yeah, five out of ten. I say it's a rental. Um, you know, I say it's 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 worth checking out. Uh, it's just I was I was really expecting I was expecting more from it, and like you, I don't think it came together quite like I was hoping it would have. Okay, five out of ten rental. And that's for Christmas Blood or uh, Yule Blood, J U L E B L O D. Yule Blood. Yes, very good. Good job. Yule Blood, yeah. Okay, Josh, how about Dead by Christmas? Okay, Dead by Christmas is a 2018 Christmas horror film directed by Armand Petri. And it is. I hate to be just mean to a movie, it's the best example of this Amazon prime era that I could give this to me feels like a student film that in any other era before now, just no one would ever see this. You would only see this if you were friends with the person or they put it on YouTube or you were in their film class at school, but because of the era we're now it's streaming on Amazon prime, you can watch it for free. So, um, it's actually not terribly written. I think there are some really bad performances in the film that make it seem like the writing is worse than it is. I can imagine a world where a more experienced director and more experienced actors could take this material and make something interesting out of it. Cause the concept is kind of interesting. What you have is you have a group of friends. They all grew up together in an orphanage and they were all abused by a priest at this orphanage 
And so they're all getting together for the holidays after one of their friends has died from that group. And they get picked off one by one during the Christmas season by a killer in a super duper creepy Santa mask. (laughs) And so it's a kind of a fun world for a horror slasher film, but it's just the people in it for the most part, just don't have the experience to carry a film. Uh, The director doesn't really have the experience to shoot it. And the overall takeaway is that it's just kind of a miserable 59 minutes of cinema. So Mm. um, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, on a Christmassy level, I could almost give it like a seven or eight. There's not a lot of snow, but inside the house, I mean, they're constantly filling every frame with a ton of Christmas production design. And the Santa, as I've mentioned, is one of the, creepier killer Santas I've ever seen in a movie, just in terms of the general look of the character, the way it acts is not particularly interesting, except the, okay, here's the best thing I could say about it. And I told Dave this too, as well, watch the first scene in the movie. It's the best scene in the movie. So if you watch that first scene and you're like, that was terrible, then just stop right there. (laughs) If you watched it and you loved it, like say, well, it's going to go downhill from here. But that was so good. I just have to have more. And because it's a free rental on Amazon, I feel like I can kind of give that recommendation. Mm-hmm. If you have already Amazon Prime, <laughs> do not subscribe to Amazon Prime for this. Movie. <laughs> right. But yeah, um, I honestly, I give this one a one. Whoa. And I wow. think that this is a strong avoid other than I would say just for, you know, giggles check out that first scene. See what you think. I I think it's the most fun scene because someone gets killed by candy cane to the eye sockets. And so it's a pretty insane horror movie kill, but the movie never reaches those heights again. (laughs) Has Josh ever given a one to a movie? I don't, I don't pretty recently, actually. Really? Oh, did you? (laughs) It's really, that's interesting. Uh, That's almost like a, you know, sew it into the ground with salt type rating for Josh. You know? <laughs> it's just, you know, I, again, I hate being mean to a film. It just feels like a student production, mm-hmm. you know, and like, that's fine. Like everyone has to learn. I can imagine again, like the, the core materials here aren't bad. I think it's kind of a fun premise. It, it's not poorly written necessarily. It's, it's, it just feels inexperienced. Yeah. From top to bottom. Right. Know? Yeah, well, the user reviews on IMDb Batman Fun Reviews 2018 says it is the the <laughs> the subject line of his user review is nope, nope. <laughs> it just makes me smile. Anyways, uh, so that's Dead by Christmas. Josh says it's a one and a strong avoid. Okay, and now uh, as we continue on with the evening, we got a couple Christmas horror films that aren't uh, readily available uh, just yet, but right. Were you going to mention something about secret Santa? Yeah. There are a couple of films called secret Santa. Mm -hmm. One from a few years ago. That's also kind of a no budget Amazon prime movie. Maybe worth taking a look at. This one's a little bit higher budget, not a ton, but a little bit. And I was interested in it due to a couple of the cast members 
most notably Drew Lynch, who is a stand-up comedian who's best known for being kind of like the stuttering stand-up comedian on America's Got Talent or something like that. Uh, one of those types of shows. Mm-hmm. He's really likable. And if you ever have the chance to watch, you know, his little YouTube clip of, you know, standing there in front of Howie Mandel and Howard Stern doing his, his stand-up comedy routine, it's very fun to watch. But mostly the director, Adam Marcus, is the director of Jason Goes to Hell and Texas Chainsaw 3D. Mm-hmm. But I was extremely interested to see what the director of those two crazy movies would do with a Christmas time <laughs> slasher. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, it's, it is not out as far as I know. And according to IMDb, it was supposed to come out on December 18th, which was yesterday as of the time of this recording, mm-hmm. but I can't find any information about that online. Right. Well, Okay, we'll have to watch for that. The other one is, and, and Josh, you're probably already aware of this, but I've been dying to at least talk to you about it. Um, of course, we've seen like Chris Peckover's Better Watch Out, which we've mentioned already. It definitely has some Home Alone inspiration. Well, there's a French film from like 1990 that was written and directed by Rene Manzor. It was originally titled 3615 Code Paranoel. It's also called... Um, Game Over, that's how it's listed on IMDb, or Deadly Games, or Hide and Freak. But presently, the title in the U.S. seems to be Dial Code Santa Claus. And uh, have you guys that's seen the... not a good title. No, no, no but, awful, and, and it's an adaptation, I think, of the f- original <laughs> French title. But basically, oh. get this, it's it's Home Alone premise, or, or vice versa, because there's argument that this that Home Alone ripped this off. But you've got a kid who has to defend his home against a killer home invading oh. Santa Claus. And it's insane. It's full-blown horror with ferocity and violence. Um, it's been described as Home Alone meets Rambo meets Die Hard in a mansion during Christmas. <laughs> and, wow. And, and like wow, a, that's something. And, and like I was saying, it's pretty controversial because, um, you know... The filmmakers, they at one point, I guess, they threatened legal action on the grounds of like uh, plagiarism, or you know, they they claimed that the movie was remade. Not, and I guess I don't know all this for certain, but what I've heard in my research and read is that um, it was screened. There were people who saw it in the United States, and um, you know, so that they think that it basically just got ripped off and, or, yeah. or it could have been one of those weird things where, you know how movies come out at the same time and they just happen to be very similar, but it was available through VHS bootlegs. And, um, it did end up getting worldwide distribution back in the day. A lot of other countries are aware of this and they've seen it, but it finally has come to America. It was at fantastic fest recently under the title Deadly Games. And uh I've asked Juan about that. I know he was there this year. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it's getting a lot of good buzz. Um just some of the you, you all know I I I'm a fan of the slash film cast and slash film.com and Jacob Hall in there he he's talking about how, how brutal it is and how um you know it, it's just kind of this little horror gem and um 
anyway, I'm excited about this. If you watch the trailer, it does indeed look pretty nuts. And yeah. and, and there are screenings in, um, I wrote this down, Denver, Washington, D.C., Birmingham, uh, let's see, Calgary, Boston, New York, Toronto, um, you know, a handful of places across the country. But I suppose well, looking this up, it was restored by the American genre film archive. Mm-hmm. If you go to their website, you can actually book a screening. So if you have enough money to book a screening of this film, yeah, uh, you can have it play in your hometown. Yep. And Alamo draft house has got it out there. So, um, anyways, it's, it's very interesting. And mm-hmm. for fans of home alone, um, this may very well be the inspiration for Home Alone, but it's much more like ferocious, you know, yeah. with that premise and the kid dresses up like Rambo and stuff. So it's got a lot of Rambo references. Wow. So, so anyways. Interesting. It's like fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, that's pretty cool. The other thing I was just going to slip in here because um, I've been, I, I remembered this film like back in way early. It was like March or April. And I'm like, oh, that's a Christmas horror. And so I wrote it down and I'm like, I, I want to definitely cover it this year. So I've been waiting almost the entire year to talk about this. Um, it's a film from 2010. So this is not a 2018 film. It's 2010. It's called The Traveler. And uh, it stars Val Kilmer. And this is, I think it's a neat little movie. Now, on your Christmas rating scale, Josh, it would be pretty low. I mean, it's set primarily on Christmas Eve, but all the Christmassy stuff is kind of up front and it's just really mentioned, you know, like there are some Christmas carols playing and they talk about how it's Christmas Eve and um, there's a season's greetings like light thing that's hung up, <laughs> but it's very minimal. And in fact, the exterior shots are it's rainy, so it's not even snowy. And that's a little disappointing. But I think what's notable about this film is it's um, it's a mystery, supernatural slasher, torture film with uh, a little Christmas backdrop, and basically the premise is you got this police station on Christmas Eve, and this dude, this stranger, this drifter walks in, and it's Val Kilmer, and he turns himself in, and says that. You know, he wants to confess to murder. And so they're like, okay, buddy. And they lock him up. <laughs> and, and what's intriguing is he's confessed the murders that have not happened yet, but soon will. And really, that's all the farther I can talk about it and go into I it. I remember this. I remember this movie vaguely mm-hmm. because I think we covered it many moons ago on, on Planet Macabre, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I think we covered that. Did you buy my copy of this, Jay? Yeah, I actually bought it from you. And I, and, and I think, damn, why did I sell this? I don't know why I sold this one. <laughs> I was, I was, I was looking at it on my DVD profile. And I'm like, I, I know I have this movie. Where is it? Yep. Yep. Um, I sold it. Well, you, did, did you have it in your, okay. All right. Well, now at least I know where it is. <laughs> That's right. It's in, it's in a uh, good company. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. but the thing is, yeah, I, I believe I did probably initially hear about this through Planet Macabre back in the day, like when it was a new release, <laughs> but, um, right. And it, it, well, yes, yeah, so at that point it would have been a new release. And, and the thing is, even though 
it's it's not super Christmassy. I will say Val Kilmer is is pretty creepy in it, and his his delivery. Um, if you guys were fan, I hope this doesn't turn anybody off of it. But like, I love I love um, in Age of Ultron, the Avengers movie, James Spader's Ultron. Um, if if you do that a little less hammy and a little more serious and somber and sober. That's kind of that's kind of the delivery that Val Kilmer gives, and he looks, yeah. It, yeah. he's creepy, you know. I mean, it it really is effective, and and there's some. He go- goes a long he goes a long way in helping in helping that movie. There's no doubt. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you you get a sense of the creepiness, and and there's gore in this. I mean, it's not like explicitly where you like see why and where the gore comes from, but there's a lot of like gore. Um, grossness to it and and there are some it's a serious there's a great deal of torture throughout this movie that that's pretty upsetting actually so anyway it's called the traveler it's from 2010 and it is set on christmas eve um and i I'd, I'd give this like a a seven out of ten and i call it a rental i think it's worth buying from dave for a dollar but yeah right <laughs> but well, yeah it's a good time so that's the traveler from 2010 it's also on vod and dvd so if people want that the, the last thing i was going to tell you guys before we get into our giveaways and stuff is uh so one of the listeners of horror movie podcasts i mentioned him earlier his name is mac he he had this cool idea in 2019 that he wants to do and i just thought i'd throw it out there um, we, we're pretty fond of our, our Christmas horror editions that we do, but it, it is pretty neat to look at. He says in 2019, December 13th is Friday the 13th and he wants to do a Christmas horror movie a day and do like the 12 days of Christmas. Cause if you add 12 on the 13, that takes you right up to Christmas day. Ah, very cool. So that's Mac Robbins. I told him I'd have to give him credit for that but you could do a 12 days of christmas horror potentially so josh it's totally up to you but if you starting on friday the 13th is that how it works yeah you start on friday the 13th and do a christmas horror day 12 days of christmas <laughs> and leads right that's up to cool. it so that's kind of neat really cool so yeah. props to mac yeah. all right all right so take us into these giveaway I, I believe we have a number of giveaways here starting with fright rags right josh yeah, we have a Fright Rags t-shirt to give away and some other swag that I'll throw into the envelope with it from Fright Rags, who have been sponsors of our Christmas horror episode for the last three years running. Nice. Uh, Started out with giving us a Krampus t-shirt to give away a couple of years ago. Last year, a Silent Night, Deadly Night t-shirt to give away. And this year, Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 t-shirt to give away. Yes. So <laughs> we're excited about that. For this drawing and all the other drawings that I do, tonight i am just going to go to our itunes reviews and go to any reviews left in say the last let's say the last year and just randomly select a review for giveaway Mm -hmm. let's go check that out now okay and here we go i'll just spin and okay this review is from mauricia jones it says are you looking for a long podcast episode on horror? Are you looking for the best podcast voice ever in Jay of the Dead? 
Are you looking for a smart, funny, thoughtful, personal horror conversation that feels like you're with friends? Look no other place than Horror Movie Podcast with Dr. Shock, Wolfman Josh, and Jay of the Dead. You are home. Do it up. So thank you. Wow. To Mauricia. And you are the yes, winner of the Fright Rags t-shirt. Now, unfortunately, this is only in size male large. That was we just had to pick one. So I apologize for that. If that size sounds like it doesn't fit you or a loved one, let me know. We'll get a consolation prize for you and we'll <laughs> re-give, re-gift your gift to another lucky listener. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We have another t-shirt giveaway. This one is sponsored by one of our listeners, Jordan Allen. We want to thank Jordan for support. He purchased a horror movie podcast t-shirt last year. Loved it a lot. Loves the podcast and the community and wanted to just pay it forward and get a horror movie podcast t-shirt for someone else. So he is going Mm -hmm. to buy one of Peter Strain's horror icon t-shirts from us for you. So, So cool. Yeah, very cool, Jordan. That's so again, awesome. That's a great yeah. idea. Yeah, that's awesome. We really appreciate that um, and your support of the community. So, again, I'm just going to scan through here and randomly pick a winner. And this one is Heidi FM. It says, this podcast makes me so happy. I get to hear all about movies I want to see, have seen, or have not heard of from a panel of three men who make me laugh. <laughs> Considering my husband does not like horror movies and only a select few of my friends enjoy them, it's nice to have a podcast where I can get this information. I have yet to find any other horror movie podcast that compares. Keep up the amazing work. Thank you so much, Heidi. <laughs> In this case, tell us your shirt size, and I will get you the correct shirt size, and then Jordan will ship that to you. So, yes. Thanks, Heidi. Get in touch. And for all of these, Email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com to get us your contact information. Mm-hmm. And please put like a t-shirt winner in the subject line so it jumps out at me. Thank you. And, uh, you know, when you guys are, when you, <laughs> I just love hearing those reviews because um, honestly, it's really nice because like right now it's almost what, 3 a.m. for Dave. And basically we feel like a bunch of jackasses. And, and so... <laughs> it's like what are we doing with our lives right now like why are we up still but but you know when you hear stuff like that it's like oh okay people appreciate this so thank you absolutely it makes it worthwhile it really does all right david the fact that i've the fact that i've had too much beer and it's way or way too late uh it makes it (laughs) worthwhile (laughs) okay all right so uh dave i believe it's time for your epic dvd giveaway right yes okay i i set this up in the previous episode the idea is that um i've uh, transferred most of my collection to these binders uh and as a result when i buy blu-rays that come with a dvd copy i no longer need the dvd copy so i'm uh, giving a lucky winner or three lucky winners a chance to um Get some of those DVDs, um, and I'm talking about for like first run movies, uh, brand new movies, um, which I covered. Like I said, I covered them in the previous episode. Um, the first winner is only going to get 20 of them. Uh, 20 is still a good number, but it's the least amount, uh, the you know, the lesser amount of the three I'm giving away. But they get first crack at the list. Mm-hmm. I have a list of everybody who entered. 
and I have put them into a system, random.org it is. And when I hit paste, and we'll see who comes out first here. <laughs> and we hit random. Okay. Kyle Walton uh, is the winner. Let me look. At, I think that was one of the emails you sent, Jay, mm -hmm. yesterday. Uh, let me look up Kyle's email real quick, see what he had to say. Mm -hmm. All right. Here we go. Kyle says, hello, my name is Kyle uh, Walton. I am a longtime listener of the show. I would have to say that my favorite episode of the show is your three-episode coverage of the slasher genre in the 1980s. It was so comprehensive and introduced me to so many movies I haven't heard of and helped me learn more about those I love. All right, so he, nice. um, uh, Kyle is the winner of the first. He gets first crack at the list. He wins 20 of the um, DVDs, and I will uh, send him an email shortly letting him know and uh, sending him the list. So if other people want to enter, all they need to do is tweet, send an email, or go to horrormoviepodcast.com and leave their pick for best horror movie podcast episode. Is that correct, Dave? That's correct. You can tag myself and horror movie cast. Uh, just tell us your favorite episode so far of uh, that and, you've heard. And anyone who has already entered is still entered in the next yes. drawings. Anyone who's already in, you don't have to do it again. You're already entered for all three drawings. Um, just if any, this is just going forward. Uh, and I will do it the same way next week. I'll take Kyle's name off and we'll do another random uh, generation here and see who comes out with uh the second, the next one is going to be 28 DVDs. Kyle gets the first 20, so he's going to take a few off the list. Uh, but the next winner will get eight more DVDs and um, still be some damn good ones on there. So uh, <laughs> that'll be the that'll be our what is that? That's our the next episode is our top 10, I believe. You're damn right. It's yeah. top 10. Yes. All right. The horror movies. So, Dave, I don't know if this is OK with you. And if not, mm -hmm. we'll just cut this out of the episode. But it would be possible. It does. It's not necessary in order to win Dave's contest. But if people would like, if they could tell us like a favorite moment from the show too, like maybe oh, some yeah. fun, funny interaction. Absolutely. Yeah. I would. That would. Uh, that would be cool as well. That would be cool they have to well. do that instead. I'm just saying. Maybe like let's say it's their favorite. Uh, you know, episode. Maybe they have a moment from the episode. Maybe sure. not. Sure. Yeah, no. Do they, let us know because I'm I'm starting to compile kind of a clip show for episode 200, and I just want to get a sense of what some of the listeners' favorite moments. That are. would be great. So you know what? <laughs> uh, definitely send that along. Uh, let us know what your favorite moment from an episode, even if it's not your favorite episode. Um, but if it is your favorite episode, whatever, just let us know uh, uh, an exchange or something that happened during the show. Um, that would be great as well. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And uh, just for the record, I just want to put it out there in case people were curious about this. I noticed and noted that there were a few people who said pig-headed horror was their favorite episode. There, there were a couple. Just, there were a just couple. Saying. Unfortunately, those people were immediately disqualified. No, from that's the not true. They got, they got double entries. <laughs> oh, I love it. There so, were a couple of people who said pig head. There was one uh, individual who said pig headed horror. Then at the end said, nah, just kidding. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and like psych. <laughs> and as promised in a previous episode, we got uh, another very generous donation from uh, uh, listener, Brian Banshee, 
uh, which is the monster name that I, I gave to him. And, and Brian was kind enough to send us uh, some free Blu-rays. And so we said that on this particular podcast here, we're putting up, uh, we have the Howling Collector's Edition Blu-ray and Slither Collector's Edition Blu-ray. And once again, that is courtesy of fellow listener there, Brian Bashi. So Wolfman, go ahead and uh, pull another winner from the iTunes reviews. Okay. I'll just, uh, I'm just kind of, what I'm doing is just scanning the page, not looking and kind of just stopping on a review. So okay. this is actually the, the most recent one that was left. This is from Anthony R the Beijing beast. Ooh. Anthony says, some may say the puppet master franchise does not deserve more than a six hour long discussion and breakdown. If you disagree with those people, then you should be listening to horror movie podcast. <laughs> if you agree, but you're still a horror fan, then you should still be listening to horror movie podcast because there's plenty here for you. Listen to it for new releases and recommendations. Go back into the archives and listen to one of your favorite franchises or themed episodes, hours and hours of great content from three intelligent guys and guests who are passionate about horror. So start listening now and start compiling your 2018 top 10 list. Nice. That was well-timed. Awesome. Thanks to Anthony R. And should we give Anthony R, since you're the first review, you can take your pick between the Howling and Slither. And then the other one that Anthony does not pick will go to this next listener. Okay. Who is Gypsy Rose. Best horror movie podcast around, even after the pig-headed horror episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Just kidding, Jay. I loved the pig-headed horror episode. Damn right. This podcast is one with great chemistry, even when the opinions differ. The horror community is a unique one, and I am proud to be a part of it since a young age. I've been a fan of horror since I was six, watching Tales from the Crypt with my dad after he got off of work. People don't always take time to realize that we aren't scary people. We are people who enjoy a good scare. A ghost story, a little blood and guts. Thank you guys for always offering a variety of films and being dedicated to serving the horror community. Nice. Thank you to, to Gypsy Rose 7000. Get in touch with us at hormoviepodcast at gmail.com awesome. as well as uh, Anthony R. Anthony R, the Beijing Beast. Yeah. So, yeah, let us, um, Anthony, let us know what you want, The Howling or Slither, and then the other film will go to Gypsy Rose 7000. Thank you for your reviews, and uh, thanks again to Brian Bashi for donating those prizes. That's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. And now as we're coming down to the end here, Wolfman Josh, uh, you were kind enough to include a little bonus, like a New Year's uh, mini review here, right? Oh, yeah. I had totally forgotten about that. I saw a 2018 film called Midnighters, which is a New Year's Eve movie. So I thought yes. that would be a fun thing to end our Christmas horror episode with. This one is directed by Julius Ramsey and written by Alston Ramsey. And it is about a young couple who are driving home from a New Year's Eve party. They are arguing. Things aren't going great. They crash into and kill a man who is standing in the middle of the road at night. 
on the drive home. Now they have to decide what are we going to do with this man's body. Love it. Love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great premise for a film. Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it's a pretty decent little horror thriller. I, I thought Ooh. it was a nail biter. It, it definitely plays on all the tropes you would hope it, it would. And I, I thought the cast was pretty decent that you've got your two leads. You've got um, the younger sister of the woman. You've got the police officers who come to the door. You've got some other people they run into from time to time, but mostly it's just about these people dealing with their relationship and the new things that this accident, this unfortunate ha- accident has brought in, into their lives. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I, I, I see Alex, Alex Esso mm-hmm. uh-huh. uh, is the star of this. And she was, every time I see her, she was, um, it always piques my interest. She was in starry eyes. That's right. And she was also in, uh, the neighbor or neighbor, I think was the name of the film. Yeah. The neighbor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Really good actress, really good actress. So that's, that mm-hmm. right there has me interested. Yeah, yeah, she did a great job. I'm I'm with you. I I like this film a lot. Actually, I reviewed it over on Movie Podcast Weekly a while back, and for me, this would be a little bit in our PSA category. But I will say, Josh, I will agree. I mean, for me, it's a drama, thriller, crime film with some horror in it, definitely without question. I mean, it goes into the horror territory. Um, oh. It opens on New Year's Eve. The majority of it occurs on. New Year's Day, actually. So it's so yeah. it's interesting how it's a New Year's Day film as well because you <laughs> you have even fewer of those in the world. Um, right. I, th- my we've always discussed like uh, one of my favorite all time premises is what what do you do with this dead body, and right. then it has some mild torture and uh, type scenes. It has some very disturbing violence in it, which which puts it straight up in the horror camp for me. And like you know like punching people in the face where it's absolutely convincing to me. It looks totally real. And it even has a, a crime heist type of flavor, Josh, which made me think of you and made me think you'd really appreciate yeah, there it. There is another story going on here. It's not quite as simple as the premise suggests. There's a, there's another layer beneath mm-hmm. this, this layer. Right. Yeah. That keeps it, keeps the interest there although maybe does detract a little bit from the horror because it kind of adds that crime element to it a little bit more yeah yeah so i mean for me midnighters um i came in at a 7.5 out of 10 on this i call it a strong rental or stream streaming on amazon for like four bucks and what where are you on this josh yeah i come in at a seven and i would call it a rental so, uh, you know, it's I, I'm fine with you calling it a thriller. I'm fine with people calling it a horror film either way. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of great New Year's horror films. And so right. I think this is one to check out at least once and, you know, be aware of at least if you're looking for something fun to watch that totally. time of year, this time of year. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. And uh, speaking of this time of year, our very next episode coming up, as Dr. Shock said, is our top 10 horror movies of 2018. Our deadline for submitting your list, you can contribute as well, is uh, December 26th. So make sure you submit your list. Um, and you could be randomly drawn to win a $50 Amazon gift card. And by the way, a little side note, you can also submit your top 10 list for all genres 
over at Movie Podcast Weekly, same due date, 1226, for yet another chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card. And for example, like if Jody Horror Guy is the only one that submits, you know, to this show and to MPW, he could win both gift cards. I'm just saying. So you, you, right? I mean, that's pretty exciting. Is, is he the only entry so far? No, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> if that were to happen, <laughs> uh, I'm just saying if you win in one place, and you could win at the other place too. I yeah. won't. I won't be like you already won on the sister show. That's all I'm saying. Wow. But no, yeah, we've we've definitely been getting submissions already, and I'm super pumped about this. This is my favorite show. I live for this. I, I am so excited. I can't even tell you guys. And that is coming up uh, very soon here. So, um, yeah, that show's gonna release around like oh, we we're recording that here in about two weeks, right? So that releases. What is it? Around the 4th? <laughs> yeah, January 4th. All right. Well, we want to thank our uh, sponsors for this episode. I mean, we, we actually had a, a number of people who contributed, right? We had the um, Fright Rags, of course. We had um, Jordan Allen. And then we had Brian Beshi who contributed to this. But, of course, we also have our, our patrons of Movie Podcast Network. We appreciate them, and we also want to thank Shudder. And remember to try Shudder free for 30 days. Go to Shudder.com slash podcast and use promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com slash podcast and use promo code HMP. Well, that's right. And uh, so Wolfman Josh, tell the listeners where they can catch up with you and find more of your work on the Internet. Find me on Twitter, Letterboxd. Instagram and Facebook at Icarus Arts, and I would love to connect with you. Okay, and what about you, Doctor Shock? DVDinfatuation.com uh, to check out some of my reviews at DVD Infatuation on Twitter. Uh, also, I have a Facebook account. I have a Instagram uh, and other podcasts, the We Deal in Lead podcast, the uh, Universal Monsters cast, which will be starting again in 2019, and the uh, Land of the Creeps with Greg Amortis, Haddonfield Hatchet, Jesse Robbins, Justin Beam. Uh, you can check that out at, uh, I want to say it's uh, landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, find me over at moviepodcastweekly.com, where we review new movies that are in theaters. We love your comments, so make sure you get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for episode 164 here, or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. You can find all of our episodes, including the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes and leave us a review. We really appreciate that. And as you can see tonight, occasionally those who leave reviews <laughs> could qualify to uh, win a prize drawing. So bribery, right? <laughs> Anyways, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. We're also on Instagram. We want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song you can find more of fred's music at frederickingram.com and we also want to give a special thanks to kagan breitenbach who's responsible for our special horror movie podcast christmas 
theme music, which was amazing. So thank you, Kagan. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And those guys are always linked in the show notes there. And I think that's it for episode 164. We thank you for listening. And we hope that you'll join us again Friday after next for our top 10 horror movies of 2018 on Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. You released a Christmas album. Uh, well, actually, I didn't. Jay of the Dead sings the classic. I, I didn't know you released a Christmas album. Well, I, you know what? I do have, just for the record, if anybody cares about this, I do actually have one serious, legit Christmas carol that I wrote. It's my own original song. Bethlehem Unthinkable Unthinkable Sin In Rama was a Voice heard Lamentation Weeping For all The little Children Were forced to sleep In graves are Sleeping Other lands far from there Wise men still seek him Watching for the daylight That shines at night, that shines at night Wicked ones were waiting To give death to believers But sunset brought the sun to 
be received The world received the Son Who left our home to walk The wine press alone The one who got back up When he drank from the bitter cup The Savior who rescues me is that same babe born in poverty Mary Oh cool. And so cool. um that's awesome because not when you listen to like the radio they play where they play Christmas music the entire season you start to realize there's only like eight Christmas songs that they're just covered a thousand times. <laughs> right. So it's good to get some original ones in there. Oh, nine if you include Feliz Navidad. But it'd be nice to get, <laughs> you know, some original ones in there as well. Well, I, I sense that you're halfway making fun of me, but I will say Wolfman Josh. No, no, not at all. I, I'd be interested to, to hear it. You reminded me that William yeah. and I recorded a Christmas song once. So I'll see which one's better and I'll put that one at the end. <laughs> there you go. Let's put them both. Let's put them both. That would be amazing. Let's put them both absolutely no, you're you're a much better musician uh oh. we, we were in a punk band so we didn't really know what we were doing <laughs> i'd love i'd love to have them both on there but anyways you're it's your show t- tonight so whatever you think Each 